Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hello, this is Michael Adams. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's nothing but the truth. One man's jury to find it. It's June 17th, 2015. And we're going to do an episode once again about the Jesuits. Those troublemaking Jesuits and their new world order. That's what we're going to title it. We'll look at the headlines here first. Uh, five reasons to attend church. Examiner.com. Recently, a survey revealed that church attends slow. This is for all Christian churches, and not just Catholic churches. And of course, I got a picture of the Pope. There is a special feeling that you can't obtain anywhere else than church. <laughs> Turns out to probably be that of Satan and his little minions. <clears throat> I hate to say that, but at this point, it looks like all the churches are corrupted. All religions are under the umbrella and control of Rome and the Jesuits and uh, etc. I mean all of them. New York Times, a video, Pope requests more help for for migrants. None of migrants. During the general audience at the Vatican, Pope Francis calls for coordinated international action and asks forgiveness to those who close their doors to refugees. Of course, it's the priest class and the ruling elite, which bow to the satanic system, as we know, the dragon gives us its power, they are causing all the immigration and these migrants, aren't they? And how do they want that? One of Rome's most powerful, and starting from Babylon, uh, tools for ruling people is displacing them constantly, generation after generation, sending the work and jobs here, there, and everywhere, for we all are, whether we accept it or not, slaves under the system. And what do they do with that? Well, it's a very masterful plan that Satan created by losing your cultural identity, your religious identity, you're more likely to fall in line with the Babylonian system, mystery Babylon and their false teachings, and become more likely to be part of their mystery schools, and their worship Lucifer. Uh, Examiner, Muslims... A Muslim who became a Christian after a divine encounter with Jesus Christ. <clears throat> that should be a red flag right there, most likely. If you want to believe it, that's up to you. I'm not saying there's no such thing as, as uh, miracles, but... <clears throat> Usually he works through us through his word and his Holy Spirit. Not some image. Although I can't say how God would work things if there's something in particular that he wants, that's great. But I wouldn't trust the examiner and their story, that's for sure. MSNBC, how climate change deniers got it right, but very wrong. Turns out that climate change deniers were right. 
There isn't 97% agreement among climate scientists, as is James L. Powell, Director of National Physical Scientists Concern, that reviewed more than 24,000 peer-reviewed papers. You know, there is climate change. They took it. They, they used to be uh, global warming, and now it's climate change. So what's that climate change being caused? It's being caused by these papal puppets spraying our skies, geoengineering, and thanks to HARP, and now, yes, you have climate change. And, of course, the great Antichrist riding in his, not his white horse, but on his white gown, his uh, priestly gown, his wizardly gown, his satanic gown, and he's going to tell us how to solve it all. And, of course, this goes back to Hegelian dialect the Hegelian dialectic, where you have cause or problem, reaction, solution. You screw up the weather, you blame everybody else, you say, hey, we have a solution, we're your masters. Hey, we told you you went to the moon. You know we didn't. And we still don't have anything but a partial photograph of the Earth from quote-unquote space. Isn't that nice? But you know what? We should trust them, you know, too. Or you know what? Hey, we fear. We fear and we conform. Salam.com, Fox News, Greg Gutfield is now happy with the Pope, the most dangerous person on the planet. And he's right. For he is the biblical an historical antichrist. On Thursday, Pope Francis is set to release his encyclical, a letter to the Catholic bishops, in which he lays out the science behind climate change. And, of course, what that means in reality, folks, is that's their science and how they changed it. To manipulate us and to cause us all to come under this new Luciferian, Freemasonic, Jesuit, papal religion, whatever order you want to put it in, in which all religions would come together to worship their God, not our God, their God, Lucifer. Thanks, Franny. Pope, another one, Esquire. Pope Francis gets real about climate change. Will he tell you the truth? Will he tell you that they are the ones who've been changing your weather, causing you the suffering, the pain? Will they? Probably not. Probably blame it on a guy like me who has no uh, influence on it at all. And by the way, most of you don't either. None of you. Except for the ruling elite who are the ones who are contaminating the planet. Yes, there's environmental degradation, and they're doing it deliberately. And yes, there is climate change, and they're doing it deliberately with their geoengineering. And at this point in 2015, if you're so blind that you can't see what's going on in the sky, there is no hope for you. And I hope that offends you to the point that you wake up. Because you know what? Not only is the Pope coming in September on the 23rd, well, first, actually the 22nd, he goes to his Cuba for some reason, ignores altogether Mexico and the rest of Latin America, for we live in the Western Hemisphere and the Western civilization. Oh, yes, Rome. And all your churches, all of them, except for a very small minority, 
And that does not include Seventh-day Adventists. And by the way, we will be listening to Walter Veith, a Reformed Seventh-day Adventist, and I do not agree with his Seventh-day Adventist, and I don't agree with a lot of his mixing and twisting of the scriptures. But you know what? He does a good job exposing the Jesuits, and we're going to listen to it. And hopefully you can be able to develop some dis- discernment. But there's many people out there who just can't. They can only go so far. Here we go, Huffington Post. Mormons think Eve was right. One of many prejudices I have encountered in talking about Mormonism with those outside the church is the idea that Mormon women are oppressed and have no will or power of their own within the church, blah, blah, blah. And by the way, that in itself, saying that Eve was right by breaking God's law, definitely comes straight from Freemasonic, Gnosticism, the Jesuits, the Mystery Schools, and all the other apostate religions out there. Goodness gracious. All right, Business Insider. The Pope is about to issue a declaration that could give Republicans a huge headache in to uh, 2016, how political analysis thinks the Pope will pose a major problem for the Republican Party, more Hegelian dialect, because they control both parties, and it really doesn't matter. It's just a game to deflect you from realizing who the papacy is, who the Pope is, what they have done to this world. How do you post what the Pope and thousands of pagans have in common? Pope Francis much-anticipated environmental encyclical will be published tomorrow, but a draft of the statement was recently leaked into the press. Isn't that wonderful? Jeb's Bush rejects his church teachings on climate change. Why not on marriage equality? Oh, boy, this climate thing is going to be a big wedge. Of all the brainwashed masses out there who cannot see who's actually causing the climate change, and they'll buy into the fact that they're doing it themselves, and many of them will just eagerly walk through their deaths and submit more instead of demanding for more of their own rights and freedoms and calling out to God, they're going to call out to the Pope. Jesuit-controlled Jeb Bush joined the Roman Catholic Church back in the early or mid-90s in order to become the governor of Florida, of course, now is running for president. You think he's against the Pope as he kissed his ring? You're out of your freaking mind. This is just a game. Fox News, Pope weighs on, in on migrant crisis range around the globe. By the way, this is just the top headlines. And look how many so far about the Pope, about Roman Catholicism, knocking other religions, uh, trying to make uh, Catholicism the equivalent to actually biblical Christianity. No, it's not. Flat-out frickin' lie, and anybody who just does a little bit of homework and compares what the Roman Catholics teach in their seven sacraments and how the vicar of Christ, the Pope, has somehow took the place of the Holy Spirit, you would... uh, I doubt that very much. You'd be going, what's going on? Why is the biblical historical antichrist weighing on this? Why has he become the number one politician in the world? Freemasonic Jesuit Pope. 
Fox News put ways on the migrant crisis range around the world, the globe. Don't close the door on migrants. Thanks, Pope. After all, you created it, right? You and your buddies, you created the whole situation. Isn't that beautiful? Thanks. They don't care about you people. This is the this is the Roman Empire. They've never cared about you. They don't care about you. They care about them themselves, their uh, royal bloodlines, their Satanism, their own power, their elite, their bankers, their power. They have this delusion that they have a right to rule the whole world. And by the way, they created Islam. That's the truth. You look at Islam, it's basically the same thing. You take away the book, take away the Muhammad, and you have the same freaking religion. It's all coming back together, folks. And they're going to use this global crisis and the economic crisis that they created and all the other pressures to join their church. And I wouldn't be surprised if the day that you have to worship on will be Thursday. Maybe they'll make you do it one day a week and it has to be their way. Who knows? One thing is for certain, not too many people listen to a guy like me. And the only thing I can think of is because, and it's not just because how bad of a communicator I am, but the fact of the matter is people don't care. (laughs) Those that do, they're doing their part to expose the biblical, historical, prophetic antichrist, the scheme that's out there. Salon.com. Coal industry provides congressional Republicans with some handy anti-Pope talking points. Yeah, they want to make cheap energy uh, more expensive. Um, They want to convince you that they have a better idea. And they do, but it's all about enslaving you and turning you back into a third world country. They don't like individuality. They like their communism for us and their corporate fascism for them. And they get rich and more powerful than the rest of you. The rest of us, well, we just rot away in their system. And slave away, and then when it's done, yeah, we'll give you... Actually, we'll give you, before you get started, a designer disease through vaccines. And I can, I'm a walking example. I can't imagine what my son's going to go through. And I'm pretty pissed off about that. I'm not angry at God, but I'm angry at man and I'm angry at Satan. And I'm angry at all these liars, deceivers. Freaking demon-possessed fools. Anyways, I think a progress. So what exactly is the Pope's newly cyclical on the environment anyways? Oh, really? It'll be something sweepingly wonderful, and it will be so wonderful to all the deceived out there. And they'll think, wow, how great it is. Little do they realize and know that there are ones actually causing the climate change. For some reason, they can't look up in the sky, and when they do look up in the sky, they can't accept the fact that they, what they're looking at is fake clouds, and all those lines weren't there a couple of years ago. But you're not going to accept it. You're going to accept anything else but the fact of what the brutal truth of how wicked and fallen this world is and how bad the men, the sociopaths, the antichrist, the demon-possessed men out there, and women who are controlling your life really are. CBS, Jeb Bush backs away from criticism of the Pope. Jeb Bush softened his criticism on his master, the Pope, yesterday 
an advance of Vatican encyclical that will call for urgent action to fight global warming. Of course, they won't be stopping it. They will be blaming you and I and slaving us even more. Count on that. They're the ones causing it. You have to look up in this guy. You have to be honest about things for once. Will you be? I don't think so. Well, basically, the people who listen to this show will be, but most of you won't. Most of you are just still busy with your own delusion. You want to watch Star Wars instead. Hey, listen, here's another one. The funniest uh, Rachel and Dolezal late-night jokes. Jimmy Fallon, Conan O'Brien, Seth Meyers, Jon Stewart. Take aim. By the way, you think that woman just amazingly showed up? It was a NAACP by accident. You think they, somebody didn't figure that out a long time ago? A white woman pretending to be black and it's a lesbian or bisexual. You think they didn't know that? This is all set up. This is all set up. More the race antagonism. If you listen to the previous show. You'll listen to guys like Manning and others causing race antagonism. You'll listen to that one show where that one guy is pretending to talk to a, a rabbi going through all the... Uh, a lot of it's true, by the way, but of course his antagonism is all to make people upset. I hope you realize that's what it was really about. Pope Francis, Environmental, Social, Science, Humanity, and Faith. Oh, scoop blog. Freemasons are excited as all get out. Jeb Bush says he just can't throw brother George W. Bush under the bus. NBC News a video. Another one. Opinion. Papal encyclical gives hope to indigenous people. Of course they do. By the way, those indigenous people are going to be some of them, a lot of them are going to be taken away too. And they don't care about these people. They've been abusing and molesting and hurting the indigenous people forever. Pope Francis right now is in the middle of a lawsuit because of his involvement with human trade, sex trade, child pedophilia, abuse, satanic worship, and etc. Well, eh, he's a great guy, though. Pope is cynical to prove Ted Cruz right on global warming as religion. It's part of a religion. It's part of it. Of course, Ted Cruz means a lot coming from him. More papal puppets talking. And it goes on and on and on and on. You got here, uh, Faces of Defeat, Cavaliers fans react to loss. As James, uh, LeBron James, <clears throat> if you look at him, the man just open Satanist, doing his 666 and this triangle thing and praying to his Lucifer. And, of course, his false God let him down again. <clears throat> more and more and more and more and more stuff about the Pope. This is big news, folks. This is extremely big news. And, of course, we'll probably end up doing something about this week, about this encyclical, about the false uh, climate change thing, which is not actually, I have to rephrase that. There is a climate change going on, and it's because of geoengineering. 
because of these men are doing this to enslave us, to cripple us, and to have us fall in line with their new world order. They don't care about you. They don't even care about the climate. They care about themselves and serving their master, Lucifer. It goes on and on and on. Global warming stance, environmental degradation, all these things. You folks, the average one of you, did not contribute to this in any way, but they'll make you feel that way. But you take a flight from the East Coast to West Coast, you'll be amazing how very few people there are in the middle of the heart of this country. From coast to coast, the bulk of this country doesn't have people in it. It's not too many people. It's how they rounded us up in their modern version of reduction camps. It just goes on and on and on. This is one of the heaviest days ever on you, Yahoo and other places where it's nothing about the Pope's encyclical. Question, why is this one man, this one organization, dominating the headlines? Do you think, whether a Roman Catholic or not, that it should be a concern, especially you liberal-thinking, freer-thinking Roman Catholics? who recognize there's something seriously wrong with the papacy that has been usurped and taken over, that this guy is not even an anti-pope, but even worse. When will they stand up? You know, this whole argument about Protestants and Catholics is bogus. It really is. For if you look at the leadership of all these quote-unquote Protestant churches, they're already in line with the Jesuits. They've been using this issue for a long, a long time, a wedge issue to separate Roman Catholics and Protestants. If you're a biblical Christian like me, I'm going to expose you all. But it's not you particular, it's your religions, it's your false institutions, hoping that you will come out of Babylon. Unfortunately, we don't think very straight. So we identify ourselves with things like our religion, the government, our schools, instead of realizing that we're greater and more important than the group and organizations. But because we've been conditioned and brainwashed, we buy into this nonsense. We absolutely do. Oh, Ben Affleck, and let's just face a couple more Roman Catholics, Jennifer Gardner, are great. <clears throat> and, of course, you got the Warriors. You think that's a mistake that the Warriors won the, N- the NBA championship? You think the Warriors... You think there might be some predictive programming going on there? I don't know. What do you think? All I know is I'm very frustrated and very tired. I love my God. I love Jesus Christ. I know I do a very good job of it. I have no idea why he put me in this situation, but he knows better than me. And I just wish the rest of you would wake up. When it comes to the state of Israel, people won't be honest about it. It's the creation of Jesuits. It's a, you know what? It's a giant concentration camp in which a lot of Jews are going to die. Jews that probably aren't Jews, as the Bible says, but they call themselves Jews, and it doesn't really matter in the day because they're a useful tool for Rome. 
And we shouldn't hate each other, regardless of how deceived and clueless we are and how naive we are and how we put our faith in our religions and not God. We should have great compassion for each other because we have been deceived by the Nicolaitan church, the priest class, and it's their minions, the great men of the, of the earth of commerce, and their sorceries. And it will end. We might have a hard time in this life, but it's okay. Put your faith in Jesus Christ, not in a pope, not in a pastor, not in your false religion, not in your false and confused understanding of the Word of God. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Study the Word of God. See that it's all about Jesus. It's not about your performance. It's about Jesus. It's not about you at all, in fact, which is a real tough one thing because you raise our whole lives to be egotistical, self-centered, and um, self-absorbed jerks, basically. But we have nice smiles, pretty hair. Maybe we have a firm body and nice clothes. We're special with that NLP smile. Oh, you can trust a person with a smile. George W. Bush smiled. The Pope smiles. Hitler smiled. Mao smiled. Mussolini smiled. Saddam Hussein smiled. Should I go on? All the many, many, many other ones smiling jackals out there telling you one lie after another, exercising NLP and mind control, keeping you from thinking straight, keeping you from having faith in God and faith in what God has given you. Oh. Reducing you down to slaves of their agenda, their mind control. As long as you do what they want, everything's okay. We'll give you paved roads and food from grocery store. We'll take care of you. We even gave you clothes from third world countries that people work in slave labor all day long in these inhumane factories. Oh, Mike, you sound like a liberal. The heck with you. I'm neither liberal or conservative. You know what I am? I'm just a man who believes in Jesus Christ and has his eyes open. And realizes there's a whole bunch of BS out there. And a whole bunch of con artists. And you know what? It just goes on and on and on. But you got to behave. you got to behave. you got to be nice. you got to play nice. can't really just speak the truth now, can you? I mean, we don't live in a world like that. First of the video we're going to listen to is Jesuit Templar Nazi occult eugenics paganism blood and soil full length. And then we'll go to uh, listening to one of uh, Walter V's videos about the Jesuits and how they rule the, the world, the leaders of this world. <laughs> Thank you.
the Berghof, mounting retreat of Adolf Hitler. Here, senior party members and their families relax away from the frantic activity of the capital. Yet, even in the peaceful setting of the Bavarian Alps, amongst the tranquil scenes of domestic life, there is an unsettling presence, the racial elite of the new order, the SS. Adolf Hitler. Shall we form a select company of the truly initiated? An order, the Brotherhood of Templars around the Holy Grail of pure blood. By 1934, almost 10 years after its creation, the SS is in the process of becoming Hitler's Brotherhood of Templars. The hand-picked, disciplined, and fiercely loyal bodyguard of the Fuhrer is being transformed into an Aryan elite, a mystical order dedicated to the creation of an empire. In the strange and terrifying doctrines of National Socialism, the Aryan is the race of the future. Providence has decreed that the Aryans will subjugate all other peoples. that the Nazi mission will be the black cloud ranks of the SS. This carefully selected elite is intended to be the stock from which will come a new and superior breed of human, the Superman, a cast of men born to rule. It is Heinrich Himmler who will forge Hitler's guard into a racial aristocracy. Under Himmler's leadership, the SS will become a state within a state. Obsessed with secrecy and bound by solemn ritual, the SS will become a force of unprecedented power and authority. The origins of this, the most sinister of all Nazi creations, do not lie in the personal visions of Heinrich Himmler or his Führer. The roots of the SS go deeper even than National Socialism itself. By 1900, the cities of Germany and Austria had changed beyond all recognition. Millions have abandoned the poverty of peasant life to slave in the mills and foundries of the Industrial Revolution. As their populations swell with the influx of labor, elegant centers of commercial and aristocratic life become teeming industrial slums. It is in the cities that the values of the old order are challenged. Calls for democracy and socialism threaten the traditional power of the ruling elites. Established religious beliefs are undermined by science and a rising tide of materialism. To many, the new world seems fractured and chaotic. Amongst the aristocratic and educated classes from the first decade of the 20th century, the overriding mood is one of nostalgia. There is a powerful yearning for a vanished past, a past 
believed to have been more harmonious, orderly, and spiritual. All over industrialized Europe, new movements arise, devoted to the search for simplicity. In Germany, the movement calls itself Lebensreform, Life Reform. It is pledged to the restoration of a more natural way of living. Tens of thousands of German youth join the von der Vogel, the Birds of Passage. Its members share a mystical love of the German countryside and revere German folklore and ritual. While science and medicine are rejected as products of the Industrial Revolution, vegetarianism, herbal healing, nudism, communal living and meditation become fashionable pursuits. In every major city, cults devoted to spiritualism, astrology, magic and the occult flourish among the disciples of life reform. Of all the doctrines favored by the movement, none will be more influential than those preached by the Russian adventurous and telepath, Madame Helena Blavatsky. In 1888, Madame Blavatsky claimed to have traveled to Tibet and there to have been initiated into the secrets of spiritual masters she calls the hidden elect. In the doctrines of occultists, the hidden elect or the great white brotherhood are believed to be humans who by initiation and self-denial have risen to become adepts. They have gained powers and knowledge beyond those of ordinary mortals. In Britain, Alistair Crowley, a magician of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, claimed in 1909 to have crossed the abyss and to have returned as an adept. Madame Blavatsky did not claim to be an adept in her own right, but she did claim constant telepathic communication with her hidden masters. They had revealed to her, their chosen one, the occult history of the human race. According to Madame Blavatsky, each round of the cosmic cycle has associated with it seven root races. The first root race to evolve on Earth she calls the astral race. It was a race of pure spirit the highest form of existence. The second race she calls the Hyperborean race. Its home was a now vanished continent in the northern ocean. The third race was the Lemurians. Blavatsky is clear about the reason for the fall of the Lemurian race. It had interbred with animals. The fourth race in the history revealed to Madame Blavatsky is the race of Atlantis. The Atlanteans had possessed psychic powers and had constructed giant cities using an energy source of mysterious origins. The Atlanteans were destroyed in a great flood. The fifth root race Madame Blavatsky sees as the race of hope. The race that had once founded the culture of ancient Greece and soon would return man to the pinnacle of spirituality. That race she named the Aryan. 
By 1914, Blavatsky's mystical doctrine that the destiny of Aryan man has spread throughout Germany and Austria. of the Great War. There is little sense of impending capitalism. All over Europe, news of war is greeted with unqualified enthusiasm. In all the warring nations, the emotions of militant nationalism are given free way. In the ranks of the Austrian and German armies, there is a widespread belief that the aspirations of a generation may be satisfied at last. The unification of German-speaking peoples and the creation of a Germanic empire. To the frontline soldiers of the Imperial armies, the teachings of the Austrian clairvoyant Guido von Liszt are an inspiration. Liszt believes that in the Germans, more than in any other people, runs the blood of the mythical race called by Madame Blavatsky the Aryans. To list, the Great War is proof that the modern world with its materialism and its democracy is destroying itself. But out of war and destruction will come the victory of the German cause and the beginning of an Aryan millennium. List revives the prayer of the 16th century philosopher and heretic Giordano Bruno. O Jove, let the Germans realize their own strength, and they shall not be men, but gods. have led him to believe in the existence of a hidden elect. His visions of the ancient German tribes have revealed to him an elite class of priest rulers. This calls it the Armannenschaft. The role of the Armannenschaft was to preserve the occult knowledge of the Germans' Aryan ancestors. claims that the imposition of Christianity on the Teutonic tribes and the persecution of the followers of the old religion forced the Armanenschaft to continue its traditions in secret. Their law had lived on in the rituals and symbols of a network of secret societies. The store of occult knowledge had been preserved down the centuries by Freemasons, Rosicrucians and chivalrous orders such as the Knights Templar. So great is List's influence among German and German-Austrian nationalists that many army officers have joined the secret occultist organization inspired by his teachings. The German Order, founded in May 1912, has lodges in ten German cities. The government of the order is by a secret 12-man council of initiates, calling itself the Armanist Assembly. The future Aryan Empire will, according to List, be governed by a similar council of initiates, a new Armanenschaft. In the design of the future SS, 
Liszt's ominous assembly will not be forgotten. Liszt's prediction that the Great War would see the victory of Imperial Germany over its democratic and degenerate enemies will not be fulfilled. By 1918, the German economy is in ruins and the Kaiser's armies are crumbling. To the man at the front, the failure of the Imperial war machine is inexplicable. In 1918, Germany had won several major battles. The Russian enemy had already collapsed. Theories of a conspiracy abound. Many believe that Germany has been betrayed from within. The blame is placed squarely on the shoulders of the traditional targets of the German nationalist movements, capitalists, Democrats, and Jews. To the followers of Guido von Liszt, all that is valuable seems irretrievably lost. A government of unknown politicians has accepted the humiliating terms of the Versailles Treaty. Worst of all, the Kaiser and the German princes have abdicated. Germany has become a democratic republic. The abdication of the Kaiser is a stunning blow to the occultists of the German order. Guido von Liszt had taught that the aristocracy of Germany had been founded in ancient times by the Armanenschaft itself. In the aristocracy was to be found the purest of Aryan blood, and with it the strongest remaining traces of the Aryan psychic powers. In the aftermath of the Great War, faced with the twin threat of democracy and socialism, traditionalists eagerly embrace Liszt's mystical belief in the German nobility. But by now, a new concept of aristocracy is in the process of development. Side by side with the teachings of Liszt, it will become the cornerstone of Nazi ideology and the future SS. Since the mid-19th century, the evolutionary theories of Charles Darwin had challenged religious beliefs held sacred for centuries. But by the end of the Great War, many physicians, scientists, and politicians have come to see in Darwinism a formula for social and political action. Belief in the equality of man is seen as simply unscientific. The new slogan is, the survival of the fittest. In Darwin's The Descent of Man, published in 1871, he speculates on the effect of modern medicine on the future course of human evolution. With savages, the weak in body or mind are soon eliminated. We civilized men, on the other hand, do our best to check the process of elimination. Thus, the weak members of civilized society propagate their kind. This, argues Darwin, must be highly injurious to the race of man. Excepting in the case of man himself, hardly anyone is so ignorant as to allow his worst animals to breed. In Britain, the family planning movement, led by the scientist Marie Stokes, is preoccupied with the supposed threat to the health of the race posed by uncontrolled breeding. Mari Stokes' work on birth control, Wise Parenthood, first published in 1918, is dedicated 
to all those who wish to see our race grow in strength and beauty. Stokes is concerned with the tendency revealed by the national census for the lower classes to produce more children than the upper classes. The numbers of our population, she states, increasingly tend to be made up from the less thrifty and the less conscientious. In America, the compulsory sterilization of the mentally handicapped, of alcoholics, and of persistent criminals has been legal in certain states since 1907. Mari Stokes advocates similar policies for Britain, including the sterilization of male children with an epileptic or mentally handicapped parent, uncle or aunt. The family planning movement is part of a broader movement aimed at directing and accelerating the evolution of the human race by selective breeding. This new science calls itself eugenics. By 1918, eugenics has become so influential that the British Medical Journal publishes an article in which a noted physician can write, there is no equality in nature among children nor among adults. And if there is to be a much needed improvement in the race, we must breed from the physically, morally, and intellectually fit. From Britain, eugenics spreads to Germany, acquiring the new name racial hygiene. University departments and institutes are founded devoted to the new science. By the 1920s, eugenics has won widespread support amongst the German medical establishment. It has also had a profound effect on the doctrines of the German occultists. of the Aryan Millennium dies in Berlin at the age of 70. His place as Germany's leading mystic and Aryan visionary has been taken by Jörg Lutz. Lutz, an ex-Cistercian monk and respected biblical scholar, will have a profound impact on the development of Nazi ideology and on the structure and ritual of the future SS. Lance has blended the Aryan occultism of Guido von Liszt and the principles of the science of eugenics. He calls his new doctrine Theozoology. Theozoology is an occult religion of race. Inspired by Madame Blavatsky's mystical history of racial evolution, Lance claims that the decline of the Aryans occurred because they had committed bestiality with a subhuman species. The result was the creation of many mixed races, races whose very existence threatens the rightful dominance of the Aryans. Like Liszt, Lance believed that the early Aryans possessed the power of telepathy. Interbreeding with racial inferiors had led to the loss of their paranormal abilities. Why do you seek a hell in the next world, Lance asks. Is not the hell in which we live and which burns inside us sufficiently dreadful? 
two months. The hell which burns inside is the impure blood in the veins of even the purest of air. Teachings of Jörg Lanz are propagated throughout Germany and Austria by his own journal, Ostara, founded in 1905. Lanz claims that over 100,000 copies of Ostara a year are sold. He even claims that amongst his eminent subscribers is the British general Kitchener. In the pages of Ostara and in a series of widely read essays, Lance develops a terrifying description for the purification of the race. He proposes polygamy to increase the birth rate of the racially purest. Eugenic convents are to be established, in which chosen women he calls brood mothers will produce children for pure-blooded Aryan males. While the racially impure and the physically or mentally unfit are to be sterilized, other races deemed inferior are to be deported to Madagascar or used as slave labor. In the future Nazi state, all of Lance's proposals will be given the most serious consideration. Some will be put into practice. A massive compulsory sterilization campaign will be directed at those judged physically, mentally, or racially inferior. The deportation of German Jews to Madagascar will be discussed in the upper echelons of the party. The SS will plan for the official introduction of polygamy and will found its own SS breeding program. To Lord Lutz, the legends of the Knights of the Holy Grail are more than the products of the medieval imagination. Lance believed that they were the Knights Templar, founded in the 12th century and famed for their part in the Christian Crusades. Lance believed that the Crusades were an attempt to hold back the inferior races of the East. The Holy Grail was an electrical force representing the psychic powers of the pure-blooded Aryans. The search for the Grail was the search for racial purity. In 1907, Lance formed an occult society dedicated to a new crusade. He called it the Order of the New Templars. In the castle of Burg-Werfenstein in Upper Austria, Lance founded the Order's first headquarters. Other Order priories soon followed. The occult rituals of the New Templars are based on Lance's monastic experience and his own specially composed psalms, prayers, and readings. A constant theme is an appeal to the Aryan Christ Freyusha for salvation from racial impurity and for the extermination of inferior races. The aims of the order are explicit to harmonize science, art, and ethics into an occult religion devoted to the purification of the Aryan race in all countries of the world. In anticipation of the practices of the SS, prospective members and their marriages are racially vetted. 
For once, the new Templars are the beginning of a new order. No longer will parliaments determine the fate of the people, Lance proclaims. In their place will rule wise priest kings and leaders of chivalrous and spiritual secret orders. In reality, it will not be the occultists of the new Templars who will create the Aryan aristocracy of the future. The mystical doctrines preached by Lance will be put into practice by others, above all, by a man who since the age of 20 has been an avid collector of Astara. In the closing months of 1918, Corporal Adolf Hitler holder of the Iron Cross First Class, will come to the attention of his superior officers. A near mutiny at the demobilization camp at which Hitler is stationed is brought under control by his powerful oratory. In September 1919, Hitler, now a civilian, is called upon once more by the army command. This time, to spy on an insignificant nationalist group calling itself the German Workers' Party. Within months, Hitler has joined the party and has begun to speak at meetings. By January 1920, he has been elected head of propaganda and has drawn up a new party constitution. The army intelligence captain who had first recruited Hitler as a spy has been retired. His replacement as Hitler's army sponsor is the 32-year-old Captain Ernst Röhm. Röhm is held in high regard as a courageous frontline officer and an outstanding organizer. The Bavarian Army Command has given Röhm the task of circumventing the arms restrictions imposed by the Treaty of Versailles. He is to establish secret arms dumps and organize the many nationalist paramilitary groups in Bavaria into an unofficial army reserve. One such group of irregulars is the powerful force commanded by ex-naval captain Hermann Erhardt. The Erhardt Brigade has played a major role in combating socialist revolution in Bavaria. It is Ernst Röhm who brings together Erhardt and Adolf Hitler. Public meetings of the early Nazi party are defended by stewards known as the Athletics and Sports Detachment. In the summer of 1921, Ernst Röhm arranges that officers of the Erhardt Brigade should become the commanders of a new party defense force, the SA Storm Detachment. To Adolf Hitler and the Nazi party, the function of the SA is to protect party speakers and make an impressive show of force when the occasion demands. But the SA has another role. It is an unofficial part of the German army. It is trained by army officers, numbered in army mobilization plans, and controlled by Rome and Erhardt. Hitler is well aware that the allegiance of the SA does not lie with him or with the party. He knows that as party leader, he needs a force upon which he can rely utterly. The shock troop Hitler is the prototype for the SS. No 
November 1923. Adolf Hitler is jailed for his part in an attempt to overthrow the government of Bavaria. The Nazi party and the SA are banned. Hitler's shock troop bodyguard is scattered. During his imprisonment, Hitler writes his political testament, Mein Kampf, and ponders the future of the party and of the SA. It is clear that eventually he must revive the SA, but he must also reform and strengthen his own personal guard. Hitler's requirements for his new force are clear. I told myself then that I needed a bodyguard, even a very restricted one, but made up of men ready to march against their own brothers. On December the 20th, 1924, Hitler is released from prison. He has served only nine months of a five-year sentence, but his trial and imprisonment have made him a national figure. Two months after his release, Hitler formally reconstitutes the Nazi party and reforms the SA under a new commander. Rome and Hitler have argued and parted company. In April 1925, Hitler orders his chauffeur and ex-bodyguard Julius Schreck to form a new force for the defense of the Führer and the protection of party headquarters. It is the Schutzstaffel Protection Squad, the SS. To set themselves apart from the SA, the SS wear black caps bearing a silver death's head insignia. To the intense irritation of the SA, the SS is soon behaving as an elite. SS entry requirements are far stricter than those of the SA. SS discipline is more severe. The SS attend all party meetings but never speak. Already, its unofficial motto is, the aristocracy keeps its mouth shut. On July the 4th, 1926, Hitler confirms the SS as his elite organization. At the Second Party Rally at Weimar, he gives the SS guardianship of the party's most sacred relic, the flag drenched in the blood of party fighters killed in the coup of 1923. As custodians of the blood banner, the SS are entrusted with the Nazi symbol of martyrdom in the struggle for Aryan supremacy. transformation of the SS from the elite guard of the Führer into the mystical order it will eventually become will be the work of one man. He is Heinrich Himmler, the most enigmatic of all Nazi leaders. Himmler is a devoted follower of the Aryan occultism of Guido von Liszt and Georg Lutz. He too dreams of a Germanic empire ruled by a mystical order of the Aryan elite. He is determined that this elite should be drawn from the ranks of the SS. The Superman, the new breed of Germanic ruler, is to be created from the stock which he will select. head of the SS in January 1929. For almost a year, he and his wife have been smallholders and poultry farmers. Since early youth, Himmler has been an eager convert to the teachings of the movement for life reform. 
The land, he believes, is the origin of all that is good. Cities are the source of all that is unhealthy, corrupt, and immoral. The yeoman on his own acre, writes Himmler, is the background of the German people's strength and character. Himmler has long been associated with the Ottoman League, a nationalist and anti-Slavic movement of city youth committed to life on the land and the expansion of German farming to the east. The oath of the Ottoman League is sworn by blood and soil. In the Ottoman League, Himmler has met the man who will transform the oath by blood and soil into a central doctrine of the SS. To Walter Dare, an ex-official in the Prussian Ministry of Agriculture, the relationship between German blood and German soil is a source of mystical power. Questions of agriculture are not questions of economics, but of race and destiny. In 1930, Himmler's fantasies of an Aryan future are the least of Hitler's concerns. The unity of the party and Hitler's own future as its leader are under threat. With the economic depression at its height, Germany's unemployed flood into the ranks of the SA. The stormtroopers now number 100,000 men. To the radicals of the SA, National Socialism promises the destruction of the traditional German ruling classes. In the eyes of the stormtroopers, the industrialists, army officers and aristocrats, who are the Nazi party's most influential supporters, are no more than contemptible parasites. In protest at the political alliances which Hitler has formed, many SA commanders withdraw their men from the party's service. Goebbels, the Nazi propaganda chief, warns Hitler that a split within the SA and within the party is imminent. Hitler's solution is to recall the only man he believes capable of reuniting the SA, Ernst Röhm. Rome will succeed in the task Hitler has set for him. He will pay for success with his life. As Rome sets about the unification and expansion of the SA, Himmler takes a different road. His strategy is not one of rapid expansion. Instead, he concentrates on careful and systematic selection. In 1930, Himmler had won a valuable concession from Hitler. The SS would be allowed to recruit from the ranks of the SA. Himmler proceeds to put into practice his theories of breeding. We went about it like a nursery gardener trying to reproduce a good old strain which has been adulterated and debased. I started with a minimum height requirement. I knew that men of a certain height must somewhere possess the blood I desired. On December the 31st, 1931, Himmler establishes the SS Race and Resettlement Bureau. It is to be headed by his old friend, Walter Dari. 
Dari is awarded the rank of honorary SS general. The task of the Race and Resettlement Bureau is to prepare for the future colonization of the East by pure-blooded Germans. It is also instructed to conduct research into racial ancestry, biological selection, and the history of the Aryans. Its staff of leading academics and medical men are ordered by Himmler to develop stricter requirements for SS entry. physicians assess the degree of racial purity of each applicant by physical examination. Only those considered pure or predominantly Nordic are acceptable. The applicant's physique is also judged on a nine-point scale. The examiners are instructed to take into account the attitude and bearing of the candidate. Himmler has decreed, in his attitude to discipline, the man should not behave like an underling. His gait, his hands, everything should correspond to the ideal which we have set ourselves. To Himmler, selection is only the first step in his plan to reclaim the Aryan blood latent in the German people. The second stage is the control of SS breeding. The Race and Resettlement Bureau is charged with the task of racially vetting SS marriages. Prospective brides of SS men are required to prove the purity of their Aryan blood back to the year 1750. By 1933, the Bureau will be examining almost 2,000 SS marriage applications a month. It is the beginning of the largest and most terrifying eugenics experiment in human history. From 1935, the Race and Resettlement Bureau will be empowered to vet the marriages of the entire civilian population of Germany. Heinrich Himmler is so confident of success that he predicts that in 120 years, the entire German people should once more be pure-blooded Aryans. that the realization of his early ambition depends above all on the SS becoming the most powerful organization in the Nazi party and in the German state. Already Hitler has given the SS the role of carrying out police and intelligence duties within the party. Himmler is quick to seize the opportunity to expand his power. In 1931, Himmler recruits a 33-year-old ex-naval officer, Reinhard Heydrich, to found an SS security service. The establishment of the SD will be the first stage in Himmler's creation of an SS state within a state. presidency of Germany delivered to Hitler 30% of the national vote. In the July parliamentary elections, Hitler campaigns in 50 cities in the space of two weeks. His efforts are amply rewarded. 
the party wins over 13 million votes and 230 seats in the Reichstag. Hitler demands the post of Chancellor. Parliament refuses. on November the 6th seized the Nazi vote fall by 2 million. The communists increase their vote by almost 1 million and win 100 seats. With no party having an overall majority, the conservatives in parliament choose an alliance with the Nazis. Hitler's price for cooperation is the chancellorship. This time, he is not refused. In spite of his growing power within the party, Heinrich Himmler is not awarded a ministerial post in the new government. But the man Hitler calls my loyal Heinrich does not complain to his Führer. Himmler's ambition extends far beyond the control of a mere government department. During his youth, Himmler had spent three years as a student of agriculture. In the college fencing fraternity to which Himmler belonged, Jörg Lanz's occultist periodical, Ostara, was widely read. Of all the prophecies made by Lanz, one would become Himmler's obsession. On astrological grounds, Lanz foretold the invasion of Europe from the east. Himmler comes to believe that it is the destiny of the SS to repel the coming assault. The great battles he foresees will be a prelude to the final victory of the Aryans. Already, Himmler has identified the figure of German history who will become his idol and his inspiration. King Heinrich I, German king of the Saxons, had in the 10th century fought and conquered the Slavic tribes of the East. So great will Himmler's devotion to the king become that he will make an annual pilgrimage to Heinrich's tomb. He will believe himself the reincarnation of the king and the recipient of psychic messages from the spirit of the dead ruler. Himmler believes that his divine mission is to complete the work of King Heinrich. He will create from the SS a knightly order which will rule the coming Aryan Empire. But for a time at least, Himmler's visions of the future must take second place to practical politics. From 1933, Himmler's objective is to win control of Germany's many state police forces. A major obstacle to his ambition is Hermann Goering. Goering is now Minister-President of Prussia and Chief of the Prussian Secret Police, the Gestapo. Goering sees himself as prime candidate for the job of Chief of a new unified German police force. In Goering's campaign to eliminate Prussian communists and all other opponents of National Socialism, he employs the SA as auxiliaries to the police and the Gestapo. The Berlin SA are the most brutal and the most feared stormtroop detachments in Germany. 
Their hatred of the middle classes almost equals their hatred of Jews and communists. But Goering is unconcerned. It is not my business to do justice, he proclaims. It is my business to annihilate and exterminate. That is all. In the capital, Antuna, Prussia, Goering unleashes a reign of terror in which thousands are interred in SA concentration camps. The situation is fast becoming a national scandal. The party's supporters, amongst the middle and other classes, are outraged. Hitler is persuaded that command of a unified German police force cannot be entrusted to Goering. Hitler has won a major victory. One by one, the state police forces will fall under his control. In April 1934, Himmler wins the greatest prize of all. He succeeds in forcing Goering to hand over control of the Gestapo. Now, only one force stands between Himmler and the power he seeks. Ernst Röhm, leader of the SA, conducts his own version of Hitler's flag consecration ritual. It is a sign to the four million strong SA of Rome's power and independence. Rome's intention is to create from the SA a new national socialist German army with himself as its commander-in-chief. The regular army commanders become increasingly anxious. of inspecting a naval exercise, Hitler holds a secret meeting with the army generals. He gives them his assurance that in exchange for their support, the army will continue to be Germany's only military force. Hitler promises that Rome will be dealt with. The agent of his destruction is to be Himmler's SS. Himmler and his deputy, Heydrich, contrive evidence that Rome and the SA are planning a coup against Hitler. A list of the supposed conspirators is drawn up. It includes not only the leadership of the SA, but all those who have opposed the growing power of the SS. The bloodbath that Himmler unleashes on June the 30th, 1934, will become known as the Knights of the Long Knives. Up to 500 will be murdered by SS executioners. The murder of the SA leadership is greeted with relief by the German army. On the death of President Hindenburg on the 2nd of August 1934 and the confirmation of Hitler as President of Germany, the army willingly changes its oath of allegiance. Loyalty is now sworn not to the German state or to the constitution, but to Adolf Hitler himself. Hitler. 
true victor of the Knights of the Long Knives is not the German army. It is the SS. On July the 20th, 1934, a grateful Fuhrer decrees that the SS is to be an independent organization within the party. What is more, ignoring his pledge that the army is to be the Reich's only military force, he gives permission for the SS to form its own military units. In time, the Waffen or armed SS will number almost one million men. By the summer of 1934, Himmler has won total independence for his SS elite. His eugenics program is established. He has begun the process of winning control of all German police and security services. With Hitler's blessing, he has created the nucleus of an SS army. Heinrich Himmler is now free to put into effect the next phase of his plan for the SS. The creation of a mystical order of Teutonic Knights, an order which will dominate the coming Aryan millennium. topic is so serious that I will venture rather to say nothing, very little, but I'd rather let history and the quotes speak for themselves. So it might become tedious to see quotes after quotes after quotes, but the fact of the matter is, then it's not me saying it, it's historic facts being put before you, and then you decide for yourself whether the picture makes sense or whether it doesn't make sense. I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy. 
Revelation 17, verse 3. Here is this church controlling this scarlet-colored beast. Here is an interesting uh, quote from Popery, Puseism, and Jesuitism. At what then do the Jesuits aim? According to them, they only seek the greater glory of God, but if you examine the facts, you will find that they aim at universal dominion alone. You see, Rome had lost universal dominion, and the Protestant Reformation had been a major problem in this issue. A major problem. They have rendered themselves indispensable to the Pope, who without them could not exist, because Catholicism is identified with them. They have rendered them indispensable, themselves indispensable to governors and hold revolutions in their hands. And in this way, either under one name or another, it is they who rule the world. You see, the papacy has crowned itself ruler of the entire world. The Pope is the ruler of the entire world. That's the Holy Roman Empire spread over the entire planet. The Jesuit order therefore stands before us as the embodiment of a system which aims at temporal political domination. And that over the whole world. You will say to me, surely China will not be subject. Well, we already wrote, read a quote by the Jesuit general himself where he says he controls China. Who controls communism? The Jesuits created it and therefore they controlled it. They practiced it in their, in their uh, South American examples where they practiced it before they instituted it. Very interesting. This is Count von Hermsbruch, 1911, German noble and ex-Jesuit, who says this very thing. At what then do the Jesuits aim? According to them, they seek the greater glory of God, but if you examine the facts, you will find they aim at universal dominion alone. It is they who rule the world. One quote after the other. Moreover, the Pope has thousands of secret agents worldwide. They include the Jesuits, the Knights of Columbus, the Knights of Malta, Opus Dei, and others. The Vatican's intelligence service and its field resources are second to none. Even Dave Hunt, American Baptist historian, says that. So, let's have a look at some of these institutions. Let's have a look at Freemasons. The grand design exposed says, the truth is the Jesuits of Rome have perfected Freemasonry to be their most magnificent and effective tool accomplishing their purposes among Protestants. Now surely the members of Freemasonry themselves must be deceived because if they saw it, they wouldn't do it, right? So actually the order is being used and they themselves are deceived. And only within the order, higher up, are those chosen ones who know, and they are controlled by the Jesuits. For Rome. Very clever. Very clever. To make Protestantism do what you cannot do openly because you have been fingered by Protestantism as the Antichrist. So, this is very interesting. In 1816, John Adams wrote to President Jefferson, Shall we not have a regular swarm with them here in as many disguises as only a king of the gypsies can assume? 
dressed as painters, publishers, writers, and schoolmasters, if ever there was a body of men who merited eternal damnation on earth and in hell, it is this society of Loyola. They didn't mince words in those days. Eh? Wow. That's the New Jesuits. There's the, the quote. Everything I say got a quote. Now, many writers warned of this great conspiracy of the Jesuits. Samuel Morse, remember, the founder or the inventor of the Morse Code, wrote, the author undertakes to show that a conspiracy against the liberties of this republic, the United States, is now in full action. Under the direction of the wily Prince Metternich of Austria, who, knowing the impossibility of obliterating this troublesome example of a great free nation by force of arms, is attempting to accomplish his object through an agency of an army of Jesuits. The array of facts and arguments going to prove the existence of such a conspiracy will astonish any man who opens the book with the same incredulity as we did. So, those are the people that the presidents believed were behind all these conspiracies. President Abraham Lincoln himself said the Protestants of both the North and the South would surely unite to exterminate the priests and the Jesuits if they could learn how the priests, the nuns, the monks, which daily land on our shores under the pretext of preaching their religion are nothing else but emissaries of the Pope of Napoleon III, who was a high Freemason, of course, and other despots of Europe to undermine our institutions, alienate the hearts of our people, from our constitution and our laws, destroy our schools and prepare a reign of anarchy, here as they have done in Ireland, in Mexico and in Spain, and wherever there are any people who want to be free. That's quite a statement. Fifty years in the Church of Rome, the priest Father Chenicki wrote, he used to be a Catholic and then became a Protestant, this war would never have been possible without the sinister influence of the Jesuits. We owe it to popery that we now see our land reddened with the blood of a noblest son. Abraham Lincoln, 1865, 16th President of the United States, Lincoln's private letters that were burnt by his son Robert, restated by Charles Chinicky, who was the personal confidant of the President. In a letter dated 22 January 1870, Massini wrote to Pike, now Albert Pike is this high mason who wrote this the manual, if you like, of Scottish Freemasonry. He said the following, we must allow all of the federations to continue just as they are. It must appear as things are as they were in the beginning. With their systems, their central authorities, and diverse modes of correspondence between high grades of the same right, organized as they are at present, but we must create a super right, which will remain unknown, to which we will call those masons of high degree whom we shall select. With regard to our brothers in masonry, these men must be pledged to the strictest secrecy. Through this supreme right, we will govern all Freemasonry, which will become the one international center, the more powerful, because its direction will be unknown. Now, Albert Pike wrote a letter to Mancini that was dated August 15, 1871, in which he propagated that there should be a world order, a one order where all nations are under the control of one central organization. And in order to achieve this, they plan, and there are numerous quotes for this, so I've put a number on the screen, because some will say, I don't trust this, I don't trust that, I don't trust the other. 
Here are references down there. There are references up there. There will be references in other slides, so it comes from different sources. He said, and this was, by the way, on display in the British Museum and could be seen there until it was taken away. The First World War. To overthrow the power of the Tsars in Russia, protector of orthodoxy, and bring about an atheistic communistic state. Did that happen? Yes. Now that was written long before this event. Long before this event. This was written in 1871. This war broke out in 1940. The Second World War. That's also written long before the event. To originate between Great Britain and Germany, to strengthen communism as, as antithesis to the Judea Christian culture and bring about a Zionist state in Israel. Did it achieve this objective? Yes? In fact, after this war, Israel, in its present form, was reinstated under the protection of Britain. And then, interestingly enough, a Third World War, a Middle Eastern war involving, involving Judaism and Islam, and spreading internationally. That's fascinating. Is that uh, on the cards, or what do you think? Certainly sounds like we are on track. Well, here's another quote. Uh, just in case people don't like that quote, Massini with Pike developed a plan for three world wars so that eventually every nation would be willing to surrender its national sovereignty to a, to a world government. The first war was to end the Tsarist regime in Russia, the second to allow the Soviet Union to control Europe, the third world war was to be in the Middle East between Muslim and Jews, which result in Armageddon. Interesting. Now, how were they going to do it? Let's read what Albert Pike wrote about these wars and uh, how they were going to be um, unleashed. He wrote, quote, We shall unleash the nihilists and the atheist, so the destroyer and the atheist. And we will provoke a formidable social cataclysm which in its horror will show clearly to the nations the effect of absolute atheism. Origin of savagery in the most bloody turmoil. Then everywhere the citizens obliged to defend themselves against the minority of revolutionaries will exterminate these destroyers of civilization and the multitude disillusioned with Christianity will receive the pure light through the universal manifestation of the pure doctrine of Lucifer, the destruction of Christianity and atheism, both conquered and exterminated at the same time. Wow, what a clever plan. So you rub the two systems which you create up against the other. You create atheism as an antithesis to the Judeo-Christian culture. You have these two clash until they rub each other up and then out of that, you will get a new world order where you have a new religion, which is far more esoteric and actually honors Satan. Isn't that a rather clever plan? Well, it's very successful. That is why Ordo Abkao, Ordo Abkao is the, the verse, if you like, that uh, Freemason reuses. This is one of their documents, remember, that I photographed in a Masonic lodge. And Weishaupt is the father of Jacobinism. You will remember that he spoke about that in Revelation chapter 11. And Jacobinism was the power that propagated 
the French Revolution. And we did this in Re Revelation chapter 11, where the Bastille was stormed, liberty leading, the goddess of reason was enthroned instead of Christianity. So Christianity was removed and another reign began. Uh, the monarchy was deposed and Louis and his wife lost their heads the beheading of Marie Antoinette and that put an end to that monarchy. Then Robespierre, he headed the Jacobin clubs and a reign of terror commenced which in its bloodshed and its violence rivals anything that we have seen today. Uh, the great philosopher, if you like, of the French Revolution was Voltaire. Now you can look it up in any Encyclopedia Britannica. They will tell you who Voltaire was. He was a Jesuit. They will say, of course, he was a renegade Jesuit that left the Roman Catholic Church to write against it. No, no, no. He was just playing the role perfectly. Because they were setting up an antithesis. Do you remember the promise that a Jesuit makes? That I will take either side and do it perfectly as long as in the end the mother church wins. Well, to hold the pen is to be at war. The social contract man is born free and everywhere is in chains. One man thinks himself the master of others but remains more of a slave than they are. That's true. But what if you created the slavery in order to create the misery in order to create the revolution. Isn't that possible? So the philosophers come together and they write a new constitution for this planet called Human Rights. The Declaration of Human Rights, 1798. Declaration of Human Rights. You have the all-seeing eye of Lucifer. You have the serpent with a tail in the mouth, the life-giving serpent, the eternal serpent. And you have this funny little Jacobin hat over there on the end of the spear. You look at the whole thing over there. And then you have this bundle of rods tied together, which are called what? you remember what they were called? Fasciae. Fasciae. Bundle of rods tied together. And on top of the fasciae, you have this funny little hat, which was the Jacobin hat. And that's what it looked like. There's a better representation of also known as the Phrygian cap, once worn in ancient Rome by emancipated slaves as a mark of their freedom and adopted in the revolution as the red cap of liberty. Well, that's what they tell you. That's for the Goyan. Let me tell you what it really is. There it is. This is the god Mitra. And there he is slaughtering the bull. And he's using a dog, a snake, and a scorpion, which has got part, hold of the more delicate parts of this bull, and he's destroying him with unclean animals. This is a war against Christ. Now let's have a look on the side. What does his hat look like? It's the Phrygian hat. So this is Mitraism. And Catholicism is Mitraism. Mitraism was the religion of Persia, it was the religion of Rome, and it is the religion of the Roman Catholic Church. There are seven grades in Mitraism. The highest grade is called Father. And then you've got a congregation. Now, who in the Catholic Church has a congregation and is called Father? The priest, right? And he could be a member of various groups, and so can Catholic priests. They can be whatever. They can be Jesuits, they can be... Um, 
Franciscans, they can be Dominicans, they can be members of various other orders as well. So Cyrus the Great was the first one to bring out the Human Rights Charter. Now the mortal wound, as we had discussed it in Revelation chapter 11, just to refresh your memory, 21 February 1798, Pope Pius is dethroned by Napoleon. His ring was torn from his finger and he died in exile. Now think about this. If Napoleon was a Freemason, then he was under control of who? Of the Jesuit order. So, who sent Napoleon to Rome to take the Pope captive? The Jesuit order. Why? Well, I've thought about this a lot. Within the Roman Catholic Church, there are numerous orders and there has not always existed perfect harmony. In fact, the Jesuit order slowly, slowly took control of all the orders. The Knights of Malta, for example, did not likely give up their power seat but are now subject to the Jesuits. The Dominicans were at loggerheads with the Jesuits. For example, the papacy took the Inquisition away from the Jesuits and gave it to the Dominicans, which created tremendous tension. And in the French Revolution, it was the Dominican order that was destroyed there, not the Jesuits. They controlled the issue. So there were some issues within the church itself that also had to be sorted out to get complete control of the situation. It was even so that at the Council of Trent, many a Roman Catholic stood up and said the word and the word alone. Don't think that everything in the Catholic Church has always been negative towards the word. No. And Martin Luther must have made an impact as well. And so there were many that weren't in line. So the church itself needed a purging. And then there was another problem. And this problem was this, that the Reformation had fingered Rome as the Antichrist. Now, if the Reformation fingers Rome as the Antichrist, any move that seems to emanate from Rome will be looked at with what? Suspicion. So, why not destroy the papacy, apparently, and then resurrect it, with, and at the same time purge it of everything that is contra, and then resurrect it as a final power in complete control of these organizations. Does that make any sense? That would be a neat trick. And then anything that happens thereafter with a weak little papacy over there would be disregarded. It cannot be from them. It must come from elsewhere. That is how secret societies work. They walk behind fronts, behind fronts, behind fronts. So let's see what happens. By 1804, uh, Pius watches Napoleon crown himself emperor. Napoleon then takes the Vatican State, so Rome is diminishing. By 1848, Massini attacks Rome, and uh, Pope is exiled. Papal states are gone. So this power is gone. The Protestants literally relaxed, basically. Dangerous thing to do. Bertia takes the Pope captive. Weishaupt and his fellow Jesuits cut off the income to the Vatican by launching and leading the French Revolution, by directing Napoleon's conquest of the Catholic Europe, and by eventually having Napoleon 
throw Pope Pius VII in jail at Avignon until he agreed, note, as the price of his release to re-establish the Jesuit order. It had been banned, even in the Catholic Church. Imagine that. So that worked underground. This Jesuit war, or maybe it had been banned purposefully to make it seem as if there was a war. You never know, because these people are superb liars. But this is history. This is what happened. This Jesuit war in the Vatican was terminated by the Congress of Vienna and by the secret 1822 Treaty of Verona. There's the quote. Everything I say has got a quote. I'm not making anything up. After Pope Pius was released from Napoleon's prison, he formally restored the Jesuit order with a papal bull. Now that is the strongest worded statement that a Pope can bring forth. In 1814, and the Pope added in this bull, if any should again attempt to abolish it, the Society of Jesus, he would incur the indignation of Almighty God and of the Holy Apostles Peter and Paul. So this could have been a ruse, it could have been a game, it could have been real, whatever the situation is, we will never really know until the curtain is removed one day. But religious freedom for all. And uh, revolutionaries take to the streets and do what they feel they have to do. Joseph Bonaparte, here he is, 1768-1844, King of Spain, and he was Grand Master, Grand Orient in France. So here you have all the Masonic connections. This comes from the Masonic book, Masonic sources. Napoleon, himself a high Freemason, is now waging war in the whole of Europe, cleaning up the monarchies, and then he has a war with England. Now who controls England by this stage? The Freemasons. So we have a battle of Waterloo. And these are the generals that fought on the two sides. Michel Ney and Yves von Crouchy, they are on the side of Napoleon. High Freemason, High Freemason, Napoleon, High Freemason. On the other side, you have General Blücher. Those who are German will know a statement that goes, Randy Blücher and der Katzbach which means you have General Blücher at the River Katzbach, he gave Napoleon blazes. High Freemason. And G. von Schnarrenhorst, High Freemason. They were all Freemasons. So this war, was it really a war? Or was it a planned war? Now, who are the orchestrators of the First World War? Well, there he is. Kaiser Wilhelm I, what has he got on? This comes from a Masonic book. He's got his Masonic apron on. He's a High Freemason. That's what he was. Here is Kaiser Friedrich der Große. There he is with his Freemason regalia from a Freemason book. They're proud that these kings were all Freemasons. So the whole war situation is being planned by Freemasons who are being run by who? By the Jesus. Now let's have a look at America quickly. Here is this grand building, the Capitol. There is the foundation stone, and it says, laid Masonically, September 17, 1932. Okay, so by that time, America was ruled by Freemasonry. Of course, the people are totally unaware. The institutions continue as before, but they are all being infiltrated. If you look at the, the uh, architecture, the eagles, the symbolism, what you have is sun worship. 
You have Mitraism displayed here. The street plan of Washington is Masonic. You have the upside-down goat of Mendes in the street plan. Then you have the compass and the set square, and everything is in blocks of 13, and the Masonic temples on the 13th street, etc. The whole street plan of Washington is Masonically laid. So it's dedicated to Lucifer. Of course, the people are unaware of this. The White House is then built with this tremendous stellar over there, the height of which is 555 feet. Not 666, that belongs to someone higher in Rome. This is 555. And uh, isn't it interesting that 555 is the number that Hollywood uses? Have you ever heard when they say, what's the telephone number on any TV program or any one of those? Oh, it's 555, blah, 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 blah. Have you heard of that? It's dedicated to Hollywood. By the way, Hollywood, Hollywood is the wood they use to make a witch's staff. So it's dedicated to Lucifer, it's witchcraft. But that's just besides the point. So here is the stella. Let's, who laid these foundations? The Freemasons. So let's ask them what it means. Here is the Encyclopedia of Freemasonry. You're going to get a better source than that. Obelisks were originally erected in honor of the sun god. The connection comes from the Egyptian worship of the phallus. So there stands the male whatever in uh, the White House. So we don't have to go. It's dedicated to Osiris and to Isis. And uh, anyway, that is the structure over there. The military structure is a pentagon, which is the high center of the pentagram into which, for example, 13 witches would step in order, 12 around one, in order to propagate the curse. So this is also a witchcraft structure. So it's just a building, but it has certain connotations. Then France, the one that has this new philosophy for a new world, sends a gift to the United States, the Statue of Liberty. So let's ask UNESCO what it means. UNESCO says, the seven rays emanating from Mitra's halo, there's the god Mitra, uh, symbolize the triumph of the forces over the forces of darkness. Now, <laughs> you must understand that Lucifer says that Michael and his angels represent the forces of darkness. That Yahweh is the devil. Isn't that terrible? Remember that? We did that? And here, UNESCO tells us that the head of the Statue of Liberty is adorned with Mitra's seven rays. The flame she holds is a sun symbol. So this is the torch of Lucifer. Because it doesn't matter whether Lucifer is male or female, he's androgenic in uh, his story. Here is the foundation stone. At this site, on August 5, 1884, the cornerstone of the pedestal of the Statue of Liberty, enlightening the world, that illumination, was laid with ceremony by William so-and-so, Grand Master of Masons. And there's the Masonic sign. So the Statue of Liberty is Masonic. Everything will appear to be Masonic as we continue. Tex Mars writes, Towering above the shimmering but polluted waters, she holds in her outstretched arm and her hand the torch of fire and light. The gift of the Masonic order, the modern inheritors of the Illuminati heritage of the Statue of Liberty, was sculptured by Frederick Bartholdi, a member of the Masonic Lodge of Alsace-Lorraine in Paris, France. 
The statue is significant to the secret societies plotting the New World Order. There you go. Right, by 1854, Pius declared the immaculate conception of the Virgin Mary. Now Mary is being, she's always been there in Roman Catholicism, but now Mary is being placed into the very center and legitimized as the mother of God and as an entity in heaven. In 1869, Pius summons the First Vatican Council, and in 1870, the dogma of papal infallibility is published. Now we have another God on earth. And ultramontanism triumphs, the Jesuits see to it that all power is concentrated in one man. What happens then? By 1917, the Russian Revolution. And you had this interesting Fatima message. There's a link with Islam there, but never mind, we'll come to that in the next lecture. Russia will be converted, the Holy Father will consecrate Russia to me. And then there was a vision of hell, and the third vision was that the present Pope would have an assassination attack, which happened. Now it's not too difficult, if you've planned all these things from the beginning, to say what will happen. You see, not too difficult. 1934. In Yugoslavia, an organization called the Ustashi is formed. What a disgusting organization. Founded and they assassinate King Alexander of Yugoslavia. Now the Ustashi is a military organization with basically Nazi teachers and they slaughtered the Serbs. They slaughtered the Orthodox people and forced them to become Catholic or to die one of the two. And nothing is ever said about this tremendous slaughter that took place over here. 1941, Croatia declares itself independent and the slaughter begins. This is the man who is now Pope, Cardinal Secretary of State, Eugenio Pazzelli. There is his family, all of the Masonic connection. And of course, they have the Banco di Romano at their disposal with Rothschild money. This man, does he have Masonic features? Yes. Here he is at his election. His cell number was 13, a very important number in uh, Freemasonry. There he is in the Masonic triangle stamp that they produced. There he is with the Masonic sign, just as Anthony Thayer had it. And something else. From then on, the papacy wore the ephod. The little plaque that was also worn by the priests of Israel. Now, let's ask Albert Mackey, a 33 degree Freemason, to quote to us what this means. He said, The Grand High Priest of the Royal Arts Freemasonry from 1859 1865 in the USA states in his standard work, this is him, states that the High Priest of the Royal Arts officially wears the ephod. So who's the high priest of Freemasonry? There is the Pope. Well, Pacelli visited uh, the United States and conversed with this man, President F.D. Roosevelt. Now this is a large picture with, which should never probably have been released and they're probably very upset that it has been released. But it shows Roosevelt in his full Masonic regalia. 
And there it shows him with his fares on his head and he's receiving a Masonic handshake. Note the Masonic handshake. And uh, interesting fares, we will come to that in the next lecture, what that all symbolizes, why they are wearing fares. And uh, he appoints Myron Taylor as special envoy to the Vatican. Now, let's have a look at the Freemason political leaders in the United States. And I'm just quoting from various sources and web pages. There will be different ones here, so you can check it out for yourself to show you just who's control at the moment. We'll just run through them quickly and see what degrees they are. Bill Clinton, 33 degrees. Newt Gingrich, 33 degrees. Bob Dole, 33 degrees. Jack Kemp, 33 degrees. Storm Simmons, 33 degrees. Colin Powell, 33 degrees. Jesse Helms, 33 degrees. Barry Goldwater, 33 degrees. Al Gore, probably 33 degrees. Then uh, another one over here, another one, James Monroe, Andrew Johnson, James Garfield, McKinley, Roosevelt, of course, William Taft, Franklin Roosevelt, Harding, Lyndon Johnson, Gerald Ford, Ronald Reagan, George Bush, oh, all of them, Yitzhak Rabin, Yasser Arafat, Prince Philip, Duke of Kent, many others. Here's another source. Saddam Hussein, that's interesting, we'll have to come to him, 33 degree Freemason. Tony Blair, 33 degree, Gerhard Schroeder. Prime Minister of Germany, if you like, President, 33 degrees. Benjamin Netanyahu, 33. Yasser Arafat, 33 degrees. Ronald Reagan, Gorbachev, Helmut Kohl, Simon Perez. Helmut Kohl is also a committee of 300. Francois Mitterrand, 33, was Grand Orient Lodge, of course. Yitzhak Sabin, Willy Brandt, all of these old ones were Freemasons. Some more. Joseph Stalin. He was Illuminati, he was a member of the Grand Orient Lodge. Leon Trotsky, Grand Orient Lodge. Kissinger is a member of Committee of 300. J. Edgar Hoover, 33. Cecil John Rhodes, Alistair Crowley. Walt Disney was a 33-degree Freemason. Olive Palm, Al Gore, Tony Blair, Joseph Mengele. That's interesting. That's the mass murderer of the Nazi. He was Illuminati. Robert McNamara. You name it, they're all there. Billy Graham. Oops, sorry, let's move on. Colonel John Glenn, Buzz Aldrin, everyone who's ever been up in space has to be a Freemason of the highest degree. Edgar Mitchell, uh, all the way through, Francis Bacon, Lord David Owen, all the negotiators, Richard Halbrook. I'm just running through some of them. Alan Greenspan, Peter Wallenberger, Queen Elizabeth is the Queen of the Bilderbergers, Prince Philip, Queen Beatrix. She's the Committee of 300. Prince Bernard of the Netherlands, Committee of 300. And so we go on and on and on and on. Ted Kennedy, Rockefeller, David Rockefeller, Ting Hui, Baron von Rothschild, Hillary Clinton, his sixth grand dame. She's a very high Freemason. Albert Spike, of course, you know, Bertrand Russell, Otto von Habsburg, Weishaupt, all the way back. Here is Edgar Hoover, President Dwight D. Eisenhower. They honors him with the 33 Grand Cross at the Special White House Ceremony. They're not ashamed of any of this. Here are just about all the presidents of the United States in the presidential gallery of the lodge. I photographed this myself. I went into the lodge. I went into the presidential gallery. I photographed each one of these. And then... <laughs> me? Not me. <laughs> anyway, there they all are. As... Freemasons. If we look at the American dollar, some very interesting things happened under the time of Roosevelt. There is this symbol on the dollar, there's that symbol. We haven't got time for all of this. In God we trust, one 
if you look at the symbol over here, it says, I knew it kept it, novus orbis seclorum. If you intercalate the hectogram, then you'll have this A-S-N-O-M, which is the scrambling of mason, mason. If you go to the other side, it points to objects, and it then reads Arlto, you have Arlington. Ah, oh, there's too much there to talk about, and uh, many interesting things. If you go to the one, and you go to the half moon, there's a little structure over there. Can you see it? It's a micro dot. You'll have to get a magnifying glass and look at it under a magnifying glass, and you'll see it's a little owl. A little owl. Owl in a half moon. And this over here, you'll see is a spider's web. There's a lot of symbolism over here. Now, if you go to the ancient coins, you'll see that the deities were associated with the owl, and you will see that when we went to the Bohemian Grove, what did they worship there? The great owl of Bohemia, and you saw the presidents of the United States bow down to the owl of Bohemia. Quite a scary business. Now, looking at this symbol, you have the all-seeing eye of Lucifer. It is not yet on the base of the triangle. When it is placed on, he will have his kingdom. But that is Lewis, Lucifer, Anuit Coptus, he God, Novus Ordus Seclorum, New Order of the Ages. There are 13 levels over there. The bottom one is the date of the founding of the, the independence of the United States, but it is also the founding of the Illuminati. You have the spider's web, symbol of the New Age. You have uh, over here, the band, the ribbon of Lucifer. We'll see it over here in the Roman Catholic Church where you have Anubis, the phoenix, symbol of Jupiter, the god Jupiter, and the skull and crossbones, and there you have the ribbon. You see it? Associated with Jupiter. That's on the flame. And all of these symbols tell us one interesting story. On the other side, you have this symbol, there are nine feathers, there are 13 spears, there are 13 leaves, there are 13 pentagrams shaped in the form of a hexagram. You have the eagle, you have this statement over here, Arturibus Unum, out of many one, we're going to reunite all nations. So that's the symbolism of a new world order on the dollar. The world is going to be united under one central government. And that government is going to be in control of Lucifer, not Jesus Christ. Although Jesus Christ, of course, knows about it, permits it, and is ultimately in control. He tells us ahead of time that this is going to happen. And then the end of the story is that Jesus will reign on this planet. If we look at the architecture even, it is interesting. That is St. Peter's. That is the Capitol building. The architecture is identical. Of course, the building itself was designed, the American one, by Freemasonry. And Freemasonry is in control by whom? The Jesuit order. Now let's have a look at some of the symbolism over there and some of the interesting issues. We are now ready for the Second World War and the three main role players of the Allies Oh, this man over here, Winston Churchill, and he was a what? 33-degree Freemason. We saw Roosevelt in his full Masonic regalia. He was a 32- or 33-degree Freemason. 
And then we have Stalin, who was, of course, Grand Orient member, so 33 degree Freemason. They're all on one side. Extract from a report by Ambassador Harriman in Moscow to the State Department, June 30, 1944. Stalin paid tribute to the assistance rendered by the United States to Soviet industry before and during the war. He said that about two-thirds of all the large industrial enterprises in the Soviet Union had been built with United States help or technical assistance. The other third had been Britain. So who built the United uh, the USSR? Who built it? The West. The West financed it and built it. Here you can see Winston Churchill in his Drood Masonic Lodge with all his Drood fellows around him. So these are genuine uh, facts. This isn't just conjecture. Do you remember Pearl Harbor? Well, fortunately, the 50 years of Secrecy Act are passed, and so now we know for a fact, because this has been revealed, that they knew that Pearl Harbor was going to be attacked. Is that correct? And they chose not to do anything about it. Why? Because they needed an incident to start a war. The American Constitution was not going to permit them to enter a war. They needed an incident, and they created it. In fact, that is mass murder of their own people. Is that correct? Because they knew about it. This is public knowledge. It's in the news. The 50-year secrecy is up. Nobody can deny it anymore. It's a fact. So America, once before, has killed thousands of its own people to allow something to become possible that wasn't possible before. Once done successfully, do you think I could do it again? I wonder. What about the other side? Hitler. Hitler said, I learned much from the order of the Jesuits until now there has never been anything more grandiose on earth than the hierarchical system of the Catholic Church. I transferred much of this organization into my own party. The SS was constituted according to the Jesuit principles. Himmler, head of the SS, was closely associated with the Jesuits through his father and brother. Hitler said of him, I can see Himmler as our Ignatius of Loyola. And Joseph Goebbels was also a trained Jesuit. So, the two sides, who controls them both? The same party. This is called thesis, antithesis. Goebbels, Himmler, these people were Jesuits. They were fascists. Adolf Hitler, fascist, using the symbolism of the sun god. The Maltese cross, the symbols of the sun god. Here he is with uh, uh, Hindenburg himself, of course, the Freemason. This thing is all entirely planned. Gaining the youth on his side, one of the principal Catholic personalities to help Hitler to power was Franz von Papen. And Franz von Papen, of course, leader of the Catholic Party, helped to skyrocket uh, Hitler to power. So the Catholic Church skyrocketed Hitler to power. And these are posed pictures. They have Masonic meaning, but we'll get to that later. The Reichsadler, chosen as the symbol, Masonic symbol. And uh, the supposed happy alliance in the beginning, which then deteriorates. Here you see the salute 
with the Masonic uh, activities associated with it. Here he is together with the church leaders. And here you can see the cardinal giving the Heil Hitler salute. So the church was very much involved with the Nazi movement. There is a bunch of cardinals giving the Heil Hitler salute. The Pope and the Fuhrer, you will recall that even to this day there is tremendous anger about Pope Pius having now been declared on his way to sainthood because of his connection with the Nazi movement. Well, here is the new Reichsbischof Ludwig Müller, the Protestant one who greets Adolf Hitler with a nice handshake. The previous one, the previous Protestant bishop, no longer lived because Adolf Hitler had him executed. So this one must have been a puppet on the religious side. So the Catholics and the Protestants next to each other. Now understand the war. Let's think about the war. Who is the problem in terms of the Roman Catholic Church? Firstly, the Orthodox Church in the East had been a problem. The First World War sorted that out. The Tsar had been removed, and the Orthodox Church had been subjected, as were all the churches, to make it look right, by atheistic communism. But the leaders of communism were all Catholics. In fact, I have traveled in many of those countries, and the people, the old people all told me, now we understand why the leaders of the communist regime, why they all attended the Catholic Church. Why, if they were all atheists, were they such good Catholics? Well, this mighty army is built up, but Germany is divided. The north of Germany, and particularly the east of Germany, is all Protestant. They're Lutheran. And they are skeptical of the papacy. Whereas the south of Germany is all Catholic. In the Orthodox countries, like the entire USSR, you have the Orthodox Church controlling the mindset of the people. Now, since the takeover of communism, that has been reduced or subjected, and the Orthodox Church has been subject to the state. Now comes this mighty war. The symbols being carried here are the symbols of Lucifer. They're also used in theosophy. There you can see them. There's the swastika, the all-seeing serpent. And Adolf Hitler himself was a tremendous occultist. Of course, as a Jesuit insider, he would be. But of course, his outer garb of religion was Catholicism. You'll find the same swastika on the foot of Buddha. And as I recall, as I told you before, it was a Jesuit priest, Father Stenzler, not Hitler, who really wrote Mein Kampf. So a Jesuit wrote the book. The SS has the same symbols as the Skull and Bones people, the skull with the crossbow, meine Ehre, heißt Treue. Uh, my honor means uh, Treue, to be loyal, loyalty. The SS had been organized by Himmler according to the principle of the Jesuit order and became basically the new, if you like, inquisition. And anybody who did not obey the system was destroyed. 
Now we read much in the literature about six million Jews who were destroyed. But we read nothing about two and a half million of the most brilliant people in Germany, all the professors, all the intelligent, highly educated Germans who were killed by Adolf Hitler. You see, thinking people cannot be tolerated in such a regime. Downgrade the mindset. We must have serfs and elites. Goyen, katakumen, cattle, and then the super-illuminates. How irritating. Remember that the Jesuit magazine, Civita Catholica, House Organ of the Jesuits, says quite frankly, fascism is the regime, regime that corresponds most closely to the concept of the Church of Rome. Fascism is fascinating, excuse the pun. Fascism has one central leader. You see, Pope eventually, one central leader, one central leader, total control over the people, yet the people believe that they are free because they are getting everything that they require. Unlike communism, they may have property rights, but the property rights are qualified, and I'll come to that in a later lecture in case you are duped into that. Now here are these fasciae, let's have a look at them, a bundle of rod accompanied by an axe or a spear which symbolized power over life and death carried by the Roman official as symbol of authority under the Republican conflict or Creta. So starting on an expedition, he took his vows on the Capitoline Hill, where the Vatican sits today. This is very symbolic. He acclaimed, he proclaimed imperator, in other words, leader by his troops. He decked his fasci with a laurel and on his return deposited the wreath upon the Capitoline Hill. Everything leads to Rome. Fascinating story. So when you find the fasci, you must know that Rome is behind it. Fascist regimes use the fasci. So fasci can look like that with an axe, or the axe can go through, or it can be a spear like it was in the French Revolution. These are fasci. Now where do we find the fasci? Well, in 1888 campaign poster of the incumbent president Grover Cleveland, uh, Benjamin Harrison defeated them, but later he won. Cleveland was re-elected to a non-consecutive term. There he Eagle is standing on two fasci. Yes? Fascism, hidden in the United States. You know, the, the United States should be as far as the East is from the West from fascism, isn't it? Well, 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 isn't that fascinating? The U.S. Capitol building, if you go right to the tippy-toppy, that's what you have. Fasci, 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 fasci. So the United States eventually is going to become a fascist state. Nobody would have believed that 50 years, 100 years ago, 10 years ago, maybe not even five years ago. Today, what does it look like? Is there mighty state control over every single one, just like in the times of the SS? If you move, is there a new uh, law coming out which will Watch the people of the state, yes or no? Yes, Patriot Bill, have you heard of that? All kinds of interesting laws coming out. Now, what type of government is that? Interesting, there it is. Did you know that the fasci here, fasci behind the rostrum podium of the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C., 
Note the back of the chair resembles a golden axe. There it is, the axe and the fasciae. So they need us all along. They're just waiting for the opportunity, biding their time. Ancient Roman coins with the fasciae. Here is a fasciae on the back of the dime in America with a flame there. Fasciae on a US dollar. And president sitting next to fasciae is Washington. Even Abraham Lincoln sat on a fasciae chair. Is the insignia of the uh, National Guard. It has fasciae. There are fasciae and the Statue of Liberty. Let's read what Anthony Sutton, remember this man, who wrote about skull and bones, educated at the University of London, Gottingen, California, research fellow, Hoover Institute. This is an important man. Let's see what he has to say. How the order creates war and revolution. Talking now about skull and bones, which is the Illuminati, which is the Jesuits behind the scenes, as we have seen. Operational history of the order can only be understood within the framework of Hegelian dialectic process. Hegel, the great man who said, always create two directions. Thesis, antithesis, rub them up against the other. Who cares how many people die in the process? So then you have synthesis. Then you get what you actually want. From this axiom, it follows that controlled conflict can create a predetermined history. For example, when the Trilateral Commission discovered managed conflict, etc., we've read this quote before, so I'll just skip it. The synthesis, that's which comes together, sought by the establishment is called the New World Order. Without controlled conflict, this New World Order will not come about. Random individual action of persons in society would not lead to the synthesis. It's artificial. Therefore, it has to be created. So you hear about a war here and a war there and a revolution here and a revolution there. Revolutions have to be financed. You'll never hear where the money comes from to finance them. Who finances the revolutions? Who runs them? You see? So you have Nazis against Soviet Union, North Korea, North Vietnam, and nauseam against the United States. The conflict built profits while pushing the world ever closer to a one-world government. Now, isn't it logical that that's what Satan wants? He wants a one-world government. So, in Hegelian philosophy, the conflict of political right and political left, or thesis and antithesis in Hegelian terms, is essential to forward movement of history and historical change itself. Have you noticed that every country has a left party and a right party? Have you heard about that? And your country has it too, otherwise there would be no point to vote, right? Two of them. Now, let's have a look how this is worked. President Woodrow Wilson made this statement. This is now president speaking. Some of the biggest men in the United States in the fields of commerce and manufacturing know that there is a power so organized, so subtle, so complete, so pervasive that they had better not speak above their breath when they speak in condemnation of it. Aha, so here is a power that controls things. Karl Marx and the Kapital pose capitalism as thesis and communism as antithesis. Now you'll have Jesuits clamoring for capitalism and you'll have Jesuits clamoring for communism. The clash of opposites must in the Hegelian system bring about a society neither capitalist nor communist. That's synthesis. Moreover, in the Hegelian scheme of events, this new synthesis will reflect the concept of the state as God 
and the individually as totally subordinate to an all-powerful state. If you don't do what the state says, sizzle fit. That's what Adolf Hitler practiced. Two and a half million Germans sizzle fit. God. What then is the function of parliament? Now take note, I'm not saying this, I'm reading it. I get criticized for this statement, you cannot believe. Please don't criticize me, write to these people. I'm just quoting. What then is the function of a parliament, a congress, for Hegelians? These institutions are merely to allow individuals to feel that their opinions have some value, and to allow a government to take advantage of whatever wisdom the peasant may accidentally demonstrate. All right? Now let's see how Hegel puts it himself. This is now the great philosopher Hegel, where the politicians bow down to him. He says, by virtue of this participation, subjective liberty and conceit with their general opinion, individuals, can show themselves palpably, palpably efficacious and enjoy the satisfaction of feeling themselves to count for something. In other words, we're just idiots. So if you vote, who are you voting for? I'll tell you who you're voting for. I always say this. They vote for the devil in pink or the devil in blue. The vote makes no difference. It's a joke. Politics is a joke. You will remember that we, in the lectures, discussed that the Knights Templars had two aspects of their religion. The one was for the Goya, for the uninitiated, and that, according to morals and dogma and all the, the testimonies relating to this issue, was Catholicism. So the outside world got Catholicism. The inner esoteric circle had Luciferianism. That was what happened in Catholicism. Do you think it might be possible that exactly the same thing could be happening in the Islamic faith? That there is an inner circle and an outer circle? That the inner circle has one faith and the outer circle gets Goyam religion, the Islamic faith? And that controlling them both is a central organization which is seated where? Well, the Bible says that it is seated in Rome and nowhere else. The Bible says that the beast is Roman. It comes out of the Roman Empire. And Islam does not come out of the Roman Empire. The controlling force in the Bible is Rome. This is an interesting point. So if we look at this tremendous rival religion, which in numbers equals Catholicism, what is its origin and why is it there? These are very important questions. This is a mighty, mighty religion. And millions of people make the pilgrimages to Mecca where they worship at the shrine of Muhammad. What a privilege it is for them to make the pilgrimage. There's another religion which also propagates pilgrimages, and that is Catholicism. So you have pilgrimages to Lourdes and the Marian sites and to Fatima. Pilgrimage is a symbol of the great pagan religions of the past as well. Now, who was Muhammad? Muhammad Mustafa was born in 570 AD and he died in 632 AD. He fled to Medina in 622 AD 
of the Khadija's death. Now, who was Khadija? Muhammad married Khadija when he was 25 and she was 40 years old. Her cousin, Varakwa, was a Roman Catholic, and she came from a Roman Catholic convent. So we could say she was a Roman Catholic nun. She was super rich. She lived in a convent, and she had uh, the whole of the economy, basically, in her hand. And she employed this young man, Mohammed, whom she then also married. Muhammad marched on Mecca in 630 AD, two years before he died and four years before Omar became Caliph. And the Quran was compiled in 650 AD. And Muhammad, who couldn't write himself, had a scribe to write down what he saw and what he heard. And the Quran is different, apparently, from all other religious writings because it was a directly dictated book. So it is not just transcribed by a prophet, so they teach, but he's the very word of God, and therefore it must always remain in its original Arabic language. That is what is taught in the Islamic religion. The symbol of Islam is the sickle moon and the star. The star within the sickle moon. Now where does this symbol come from? And who is Allah? Well, let's go to uh, some interesting quotes also from encyclopedias of religion and etc. Allah, he was the moon god who married the sun goddess. Together they produced three goddesses who were called the daughters of Allah. These three goddesses were called Alat, Al-Uzza and Manat. The encyclopedia of religion mentions that Allah is a pre-Islamic name corresponding to the Babylonian bell. Fascinating. So this is an ancient pagan religion, and Baal, or Baal, is the deity. We read in Morals and Dogma, page 451, the Arabian word al-Debaran means the foremost or leading star, and it could only have been so named when it did precede or lead all others. The year then opened with the sun in Taurus and the multitude of ancient Sculptures both in Assyria and Egypt wherein the bull appears with lunette or crescent horns and the disk of the sun between them are direct allusions to important festivals of the first new moon of the year and there was everywhere an annual celebration of the festival of the first new moon when the year opened with Sol, the sun, and Luna, the moon, in Taurus. And the symbol of Taurus is that one over there. The crescent and disc combined always represent the conjunctive sun and moon. That means basically the male-female deity. Male-female aspect. Well, it was worshipped, as we see over here, adoration of the celestial cow, Med Veret, there's the all-seeing eye, uh, the eye of Osiris, Well, sure enough, they knocked me out. There go. In the horns, and it also represented the plunging of the sun god into the womb of the mother to be born by Isis. So the horns are also a representation of the moon, the sickle moon. 
So in later religions or from Babylon itself, the Assyrian style, there you have the half moon with a solar disk in it. And the same over here, enlarged, note that this is Baal Hadad, the birth of the sun. If we go to Mesopotamia, we'll find the old symbol of Baal and Bel was exactly the same, the half moon and the star in it, representing the birth of the sun. Isis and Osiris, the male-female aspect. So this would be Ashtoreth and Tammuz, or Isis and Horus, the male-female. The same you find in Egyptian, as we have already discussed it. This is Baal worship, this is Lucifer worship, in his male-female form. Now, the papacy has exactly the same thing, because the Pope is today the representative of the Babylonian religion. So when he says the Mass, he has a round wafer disc, its roundness coming as a symbol of Baal. And after a Mass, it is placed in a monstrance, which is a half moon. So then you have the birth of the sun, and you have it symbolized in this form. Here's another monstrance in which the host is placed, representing the birth of the sun. So Catholicism uses the symbol of the half moon with the sun or the star in it. Here's a Roman Catholic church in Germany, and it has this interesting clock on it, which I photographed. There's the moon, and there is the star. And this particular star here has eight points. And as this clock moves around, of course, every time as the long arm and the short arm intercalate, you have the birth of the sun god. Baal Hadad, Baal Hadad, Baal Hadad every now and then, every hour of the day. Very interesting. So the symbol of Catholicism is the moon and the star, hidden, of course, in many other symbols as well. All that Catholicism uses is the star and the sickle moon, and this star, by the way, is exactly the same star as is used in Islam. Isn't that interesting? I wonder who gave rise to who? Obviously, the one who is first can only give rise to the one who comes second, and not the one second give rise to the one who comes first. Isn't that correct? We think about it. So, in Catholicism, we find the half moon, or the sickle moon, where the deity is in them. We find Mary replacing Jesus Christ as the mediatrix of all graces. The mediator, the sole mediator and advocate is replaced by Mary. So here in this Roman Catholic monastery, Christ puts the crown of thorns onto Mary and she has the holes in her hand. Mary is always depicted as coming out of a cave. Now the ancient deities always came out of a cave. Loyola, the Jesuit, received all his information in a cave and it is interesting that Muhammad received all of his information in a cave. That's paganism. That has nothing. Here we go again. All right. Sure enough, they're going to do this to us. I knew it. be knocking us off because this is just too much information. Let's see if we can get this thing to bounce back. 
Anyway, it's pretty heavy. Uh, yeah, as far as him being a reformed uh, Seventh-day Adventist, he's still in the main body of the Seventh-day Adventist church, but he's trying to reform it. I should rephrase that. He's trying to reframe, reform the church, the Seventh-day Adventist church. He's not, and I don't think he's technically a part of the reformed or the whatever they call it. He's still part of the main body of the uh, Roman Catholic Church. So, yeah, here we go. This is a very prominent structure that is used in all of Islam, and you will not find a taxi cab anywhere in Islamic countries that will not have the old seeing eye there as a protection. Of course, it's used in Catholicism as well, and it's on the U.S. dollar and all these interesting places. There's, of course, the Eye of Hathor, the Eye of Osiris, on an Egyptian temple. There it is, on a Roman Catholic pulpit, another one on a Roman Catholic cathedral. Masonic author Carl Claudy writes, this is one of the oldest and most widespread symbols denoting God. We find it in Egypt, in India, the open eye of Egypt represents Osiris. In India, Shiva is represented by an eye, and the Encyclopedia of Freemasonry says the all-seeing eye is an important symbol of the supreme being borrowed by Freemasonry from antiquity. On the same principle, the Egyptian represented Osiris. So, Islam uses the symbol, Catholicism uses the symbol. I'm just showing you some comparisons. To the ancient Egyptians, the right eye symbolized the sun, the left eye the moon. So there you have, again, the two aspects of the sun god. Bailey then goes on to mention, this is Alice A. Bailey, that the eye of God is Shiva or Siva, the destroyer. Remember, Shiva is the Indian god, who is the equivalent of Osiris. Shiva is also a synonym for Satan. Is it possible that both religions in the inner circle worship the same Lucifer, but that the outer court knows nothing about this? Well, who is Baal? Encyclopedia of Freemasonry, whenever the Israelites made one of their almost periodical deflections to idolatry, Baal seems to have been their favorite idol. Entire, Baal was the sun, Ashtoreth the moon, and so we have all the evidence that they know exactly what they're doing. There is no contradiction here, for Set is the Egyptian devil and Shiva is the Indian god of destruction. Both names, Set and Shiva, are listed in the Satanic Bible as another name for Satan, and Elena Petrovna Blavatsky affirms, now we have to remember that Shiva, Shiva, Palestinian Baal, or Moloch, and Satan are identical. Is it possible that both religions serve the same master behind the scenes and that the masses are deceived, just like in Catholicism? Beautiful people who are kept ignorant. And the sincerity of the Muslim duped and misused because they are goyim, catechumen. Elena Petrovna Blavatsky links Set to Satan. Hermes, the god of wisdom, is called Top Tat Set Satan. All of these. Ancient Egypt, Satan, Set was worshipped under obscene homosexual rituals. And they had temples in which they had these homosexual rituals. For example, the Luxor Temple. I have lots of slides of the Luxor Temple because I was there. I took many pictures at the Luxor Temple, but I'm not going to show them to you because they are pretty naughty. 
Have you ever been? Who's been to Luxor here? Well, if you've been to Luxor and you go to the one wall, you will see that the phallus was very important. And the pictures are not for display. Uh, I have them, but I won't show them. Now, this is an ancient pagan site, the Luxor Temple, one of the great uh, relics of past time. Now, here we're going into the entrance, and oops, what's that? That's a mosque. Now, where's that mosque built? You don't mean the mosque is built into the Luxor Temple? Is that possible? Well, let's go a little bit closer. Yes, there it is. It's in the Luxor Temple. What does that tell you? If you had to build a Christian church today, would you go and choose the ancient pagan temple of Baal and build your church right in it? Yes or no? No, of course not. But what if the secret religion is really the same old ancient religion of Lucifer worship? Would you then perhaps do it? Perhaps, yes. So there, they've done it. It's built into that temple. Amazing. On the run. Now let me take you to the Temple of Baal, which is in another country, in Lebanon. And there it is. And on the Baal site, which is the same deity, by the way, what is that? That is a Roman Catholic place. The Roman Catholic Church, on the same site, there is the cross, there is the Temple of Baal. Why build it on the same site? Why have the same ritual? Catholicism does it, Islam does it. Do you think they have an agenda? And if we go into the great Catholic places, this is the place where Mary apparently ascended. Here is the great cathedral in Jerusalem. On the floor, you have the solar circle with all the signs of the zodiac, which, by the way, God forbid, God forbid. And this is the place where Mary lay, and then she ascended, uh, of course, to heaven. She didn't stay dead there. On the floor, you have the pagan symbols. You have all of these interesting mitzotoms and what have you, and the pentagrams, ups or down pentagrams, all symbols of Lucifer. And then in the painting, this interesting star. This is actually two squares, one inside the other, and that is how the pagan deities were represented very often, either as triangles, one within the other, or as squares, one within the other. And the squares, one within the other, were often used for Isis and Osiris. There you see it in the Roman Catholic Church, dedicated to Mary. Also on the floor of that Roman Catholic Cathedral, you have the boat, you have the waves, the water, you have the P and the X. Remember that morals and dogma told us that that was the staff of Osiris. So that means it's actually a male phallic symbol, and the boat would be the womb. This is a very naughty picture in a nice setting. Nobody would know what that really means. Nobody would really get that that is an obscene picture. Unless you read what the Masons say about it. Now isn't it interesting that the ship with its mast in the half moon was also the same depiction. So here is a Roman Catholic cathedral built like a Phoenician ship. 
Now, what has the Phoenician ship got to do with Roman Catholicism? Unless, of course, it is the rule. Now, let's ask Albert Pike to explain this to us. Albert Pike writes that Isis and Osiris, the active and passive principles of the universe, were commonly symbolized by the generative parts of man and woman. The Indian lignum was the union of both, as were the boat and mast, and the points within the circle, all of which express the same philosophical idea of the union of the two great causes of nature, blah, 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 blah. So, we're still on track here. Where do we find this in the Roman Catholic Church? Inside this Knights Temple, We've been there before, but I want to show you something else. Remember last time I showed you the double-headed eagle? But I'm now going to point your attention to the floor. Oops, what is that? That's an eight-pointed star. Now, who does this star represent? Well, there's the star of Islam. Isn't that interesting? The two are identical. There's the star of Islam in various forms. So we find the star in Islam, we find it in the Catholic cathedrals, we find it specially dedicated to Mary, and we find it in the Islamic world. Now, how does the star come into existence? It's simply a square within a square, and there you have it. If you want to have the star of David, you just take the triangle within the triangle, and you have it. There you go. It's a sex symbol. It's occult. It's very occult, in fact. Now let's have a look at this. This gets fascinating. The deadly deception. James D. Shaw was a 33-degree Freemason, and uh, he was at an interesting ceremony where a very high preacher, very prominent preacher, his first name is Billy, by the way, was also there at his initiation ceremony. But that's another story. 33rd degree, Knights Commander of Courts of Honor, past Worshipful Master, Blue Lord, past Master of all Scottish Rites bodies. That's what he was. He was a 33-degree Freemason. And he explains some of the rituals. The deadly deception, James C. Shaw, 33rd degree initiation ceremony, the oath is sealed by drinking wine out of the human skull. May this wine I now drink become a deadly poison to me as the hemlock juice drunk by Socrates, should I ever knowingly or willfully violate the same. We've done this before. I'm just bringing it to perspective. A member dressed as a skeleton places his arms around the candidate who then states, and may these cold arms forever encircle me, should I ever knowingly or willfully violate the same. So that's the 33 degree initiation ceremony. But there is another one. Each of us was presented along with a Scottish Rite ring, a copy of Albert Pike's book, Morals and Dogma. So you get that when you get to the 33rd degree. We were told that it was the source book for Freemasonry and its meaning. We were also told that it must never leave our possession and that arrangements must be made so that upon our death it would be returned to the Scottish Rites. Fortunately, I didn't have to go through the process, but I have one. I have one. Very useful. Now what's this got to do with Islam? Now this is the highest degree of Freemasonry. What happens there? The deadly deception. The Scottish Rite includes 29 degrees beyond the Blue Lodge, culminating in the 32nd, the York Rite, as the equivalent of 29 degrees of the Scottish Rite in advancement along the path, it culminates in the degree Knights Templar. So the York Rite culminates at Knights Templar, and the other one is the 32nd degree in the Scottish Rite. Okay? In addition, there's the Shrine. Ancient Arabic Order, nobles of the mystic Shrine, is available to 32nd degree Masons and Knights Templar who wish to participate. 
So the highest order is available. Those of the highest order can become Shriners. Now the Shriners are an Arabic order. And this is for Protestants. And this is where the plot thickens. Do you think there is a link between Shriner Freemasonry and Islam, Christianity and Islam? Well, I think there just might be. There's a shrine, the ancient Arabic order, nobles of the mystic shrine. The shrine is the show army of masonry. Maintains a very high profile. It is necessary to be a 32nd degree mason for six months before being eligible to join the shrine. Only the highest Freemasons may join the shrine. Now these are most of the prominent Americans, by the way. All the big prominent Americans march through New York as the Shriners in their masquerades. Now, the shrine is in the name of Allah. Did you know that? So here the Christians of so-called Christians of the 32nd degree who now know already that they worship Lucifer come to the shrine with the Quran on the altar. Now the Bible's gone. When you reach the highest level of Freemasonry and you become a shriner, the Bible's gone. We sealed our solemn oath in the name of Allah, the God of the Arab, the Muslim, the Mohammedan, the God of our fathers. Wow. Is Allah the God of our fathers? Here's the oath. In willful violation whereof I incur the fearful penalty of having my eyeballs pierced to the center with three-edged blade, my feet flayed, and I be forced to walk the hot sands upon the sterile shores of the Red Sea until the flaming sun shall strike me with a livid plague. And may Allah, the God of Arab, Muslim, and Mohammedan, the God of our fathers, support me to the entire fulfillment of the same. Can a Christian make such an oath? Yes or no? Obviously not. So masonry is nothing other than the ancient mystery religion, and Jesuits are the ancient mystery religion, and Islam is the ancient mystery religion behind the scenes, and who do you think controls it all? Rome. Rome controls it all. So how would you like it if I said that I believe that Islam and Catholicism behind the scenes is one and the same thing? Everybody has the right to his own religion and to assert that one is superior over another is transgressing against the human rights and dignity of that person. So that is the new law. It will be illegal to preach in the name of Jesus Christ. He cannot be superior to any of the others. Now, if we go to the numerous hundreds of articles and websites, and believe me, I've been very, very careful in putting any of this on the screen, because you cannot imagine how you can get lambasted for this. So I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying what these people wrote, including people like Shaw. He says, it is a well-known fact that Norman Vincent Peale was a 33-degree Freemason. And uh, he said, Freemasonry has always welcomed men of all faiths and religious beliefs to enter its door. The only requirement is for good men to believe in the supreme architecture and the immortality of the soul. Now, we saw yesterday in that quote that the supreme architect is the equivalent of Lucifer. And the immortality of the soul is the message that will be used to bring spirituality or the spiritualism into the churches. These are the people that are listed as 33 degree Freemasons 
on the site in documents, in books that are very well documented, and I'm just reading them. I'm not saying anything. Billy Graham, Norman Vincent Peale, Robert Sula, Oral Roberts, Jesse Jackson, and then Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, former Jehovah's Witness uh, founder, Dave Russell. It's interesting that the papacy uses the exact same bands as Billy Graham does. This is the youth march when he was in St. Louis. Oh, it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience to see the Pope, so I figured I'd better get out here and if I have my chance to do it. It's pretty exciting. It's a, it's a neat atmosphere with everybody gathering around to see such a world leader. It's a very special day for St. Louis, I think. He's on his way! He's on his way! I just came up with a new chance for him when I was back there. It goes like this. JP2, I'm with you! JP2, I'm with you! JP2, I'm with you! Amen, amen, amen! The Gospels in all sorts of delivery systems, uh, with our old organ music and the great hymns of the Reformation and afterward. Music is a good carrier for good news, and this is good news. It may not be the good news that we're used to hearing, but these young people understand it. We just got the sign. One minute. One minute. They're telling the people here. One minute is what the crowd was told. The rumors are correct. Now you see Big Mac himself reading Pope John Paul II. The young people caught a glimpse of that. And they got even more exciting. The message is a simple one. Holy Father, the young people of America love you. Just me, just tonight, the Pope belongs to you.
used DC Talk, they pumped out the music, they did all of these things, the same band, Catholicism and the other one. This is a very interesting statement. This is from Benjamin Cream, the spokesman for Matreya. And by the way, this is an official United Nations document. He said, Benjamin Cream, he said about the Matreya, when he was asked about the Toronto blessing, he said his response was that he thought the Toronto blessing was a good thing. It is, according to him, the method being used by his spiritual masters to soften up Christian fundamentalists to accept the new age Christ when he becomes, when he comes. That's an admission out of an occultist's mouth. So the one who brought it about was Rodney Howard Brown, who's often seen giving the satanic salute like that. Reinhard Bonker is another very famous man. And this is the actual church in Toronto where the band Cowboy Junkies was doing a music concert and it was recorded and it says they're captured live at the Church of the Holy Trinity in Toronto, Canada, November 27, 1987, when this first thing started breaking out. My machine is very vexing. Now I'm going to not move so that you can hear this. I hope you can hear it. What is this? What the heck? I got attacked. What the heck? Ah, there you go. Sorry about that. (laughs) By the way, uh, if you're still there, Andrew, I've been passing on that email. Uh, That was an excellent one about the Vatican Speaks. And the speaker uh, on climate uh, thinks there's a billion too many. Hopefully people will hear me. Now we're going to see what happened here with the volume on this thing. How come all of a sudden we don't have any volume on? Huh. Oh, there you go. Now we got volume. Here we go. In that church, openly, blatantly, and everybody is so spaced out they don't even notice. They're just worshiping. Now let's look at the mega preachers. Kenneth Copeland. He says, you don't have a God in you, you are one. 
He says that Adam was God manifest in the flesh. God's reason for creating Adam was his desire to reproduce himself. I mean, a reproduction of himself. In the Garden of Eden, he did just that. He was not a little like God. He was not almost like God. He was not subordinate to God. Adam is as much like God as you could get. The same as Jesus. Adam in the Garden of Eden was God manifest in the flesh. Is that Masonic teaching? Yes or no? Yes, I showed it to you yesterday. Here he says, I'm not going to read the whole thing, he says that the Spirit of God spoke to him and says, you could have done the same thing, you could have been the people's saviour, because you're a reborn man too. Firstly, that makes Jesus reborn, that would make him a sinner, and secondly, he would make this man an altar Christos. That's spiritualism. Here he says, and I say this with all respect so that I don't upset you too bad, but I say it anyway. When I read in the Bible where he says, I am, I just smile and say, yes, I am too. That's pretty blatant. By the way, this is his ministry cassette. What do you see on the cover there? Do you think that's a chance? I'm just showing you some of these things so you can see the Masonic connection. The Jesuits will use the Masons to totally subvert the churches, and spiritualism would come into the churches. Here he says the same thing, just like Brigham Young, the Mormon leader, said, Adam is our father and our God, so Copeland says the same, and he uses all the Masonic symbols on his newsletter. Now here is a symbol of a rock star giving the satanic salute. So now, let's watch Kenneth Copeland. This is the Believer's Voice of Victory broadcast. Today, Gloria Copeland, my wife, will be concluding her series the on the spirit of faith. Now, that could be chance. That could be chance, right? So, let's just wait for the signal to return. Let's look again. Jesus' physical nature... Is the, he has the traits of his mother. Now, if you didn't know it, you wouldn't recognize that. But that was inner circle occult teaching. He had his finger like this, and he said, Jesus, physical nature. Uh, he had the traits of his mother. Now, Catholicism teaches that Christ got his sinlessness because Mary was immaculate. Everything that he had, he had because of his mother. But the mother is an anthropomorphizing of Isis, of Lucifer. So Jesus was subject to Lucifer. But the Bible says he got everything from his father. See the difference? Subtle occultism being preached by this man who says he's God. Here you have, when the signal returns, the Rima church, which is the biggest mega charismatic church in the world. The founder is Kenneth Hagen and well, birds of a feather flock together. Yeah, uses the Masonic symbol and uh, many sub-organizations they work together with Oral Roberts. There's the Oral Robert one with all the Masonic symbols built according to Solomon's temple. There it is. Doesn't even look like Solomon's temple. It says there pillars of the grand building of Pollock Solomon's temple with a Masonic M there in the front. I mean, it's brilliant. It's very clever. And this is the founder, Kenneth Hagen. 
And I want to play you one of his sermons. He took a very long time to work the sermon up. But look at it. or is this the true worship of God? All right, here's Jesse Duplantis, mega preacher. I do know when I start doing things for God in a big way, like buying more television, here's the devil's side. It's a chance. Let's wait and see for the signal. And let's try another one. Hidden channels of communication. God had prepared that man to meet us so Did we you see that? That man to meet us. Who's he referring to? Well, are we sure we can't? We must not be what? Judgmental. Don't be judgmental. Let's let him say what he has to say. This is the words. I'm with Satan. Was a reciter of Lauren's words. I'm with Satan. Was a reciter of Lauren's words. I'm with Satan. Hear it? He speaks very rapidly and he says, he flashes the devil's sign very quickly and says, I'm with Satan. Can't be. You're not serious. Well, let's try another. <laughs> I love you. See, God's not interested in you being a servant. He's interested in you being a son. But when you become a son, you're a son that serves. See? Did you hear him? But when you become a son, you're yeah. a son that serves. See? <laughs> wow. Now what about Benny Hinn? He's a mega preacher. He says, don't tell me you have Jesus. You are everything he was and everything he is and everything he ever shall be. Don't say I have. Say I am, I am, I am, I am. That's the heart of occultism. That's Masonic teaching I showed it to you yesterday. The masonry will be used to accomplish its work amongst Protestantism. And there he is, the man himself. And uh, bless them that curse you. In the first clip here, you will hear Copeland cursing those that attack his ministry. I'm not attacking it, I'm just showing it, okay? Don't worry. And then you'll see... And there's more than one of them got cancer. Yes, Lord, I do it. I place a curse. Every man and every woman that will stretch his hand against this anointing. I curse that man. Oops, we don't have to go any farther, further. The Bible says, bless them that curse you. Bless them that curse you. Now, let's look at the anointing. The anointing. To personal charisma and well-tried techniques of crowd manipulation, any hymn adds another dramatic ingredient. Watch the choir now. 
Actually, it's an old hypnotist trick, and it's been around for hundreds of years. Fire on the choir. Fire. Oh, exit the choir. You must let every guard down. First, there's the classic hypnotic induction. You will not protect even your emotions anymore. You become completely open. Because the anointing demands that every part of you be open. And at those moments, you are extremely fragile and extremely sensitive. We showed the footage to a professional hypnotist. And he said, and I quote, this is something we do every day. And Mr. Hinn is a real professional. Well, I would react by simply saying that these manifestations do happen. Yet, at the same time, the real, the divine, is still there. Did he deny it? No. Yet the real and the divine is still there, even though he's using hypnotism. What does the spirit of prophecy say is hypnotism? It's demonic. It's Satan taking over the mind because Jesus died for your freedom of choice. He would never coerce your mind or subject one mind to another. So he's right. He's not really lying. Fascinating. Thank you, Mr. Him. That was very interesting. Now, let's hear him say something else. Come on, people, let me heal and praise the Lord. Clearly, he's addressing Satan himself. Now, here's an interesting interview with Larry King Live. We're back on Larry King Live, Mount Carmel, Pennsylvania, with Pastor Benny Hinn. Hello. Yes, uh, good evening. I believe that there are false prophets out in the world today, and we've seen the televangelists who have fallen by the wayside. No, I was just wondering what really separates Mr. Hinn from the other TV evangelists out there. How do they know? It's quite simple. See, Jesus said, by the fruits you will know them. And uh, just watch the person's fruits. That's interesting. Now, this is something that came up that was prominent news. It was totally squashed. It was on national television. It was an amateur video taken at one of his parties. And you will see what he's handing to his top aide who died that night. There he is. watch the person's fruits if they uh, display uh, a clean life, a Christian character, if they show true Christianity, then they're really for real. Well, 
Does he have the fruit? Well, here's another one of his wife. Notice what she says. If your engine is not revving up, you know what you need? You need a Holy Ghost enema right up your spirit. That was short. This is blasphemy of the highest order. You need a Holy Ghost enema right up your whatever. Now, has spiritualism come into the churches, yes or no? Yes. So, is it not my duty to warn a child of God in that organization and to show him that that organization has become part of Babylon? That's the cry come out of Babylon. I show these to charismatics. In fact, charismatic churches themselves have shown them within churches. You know, whole churches come out with tears because they have. I had a campaign in a town called Riversdale. There were a horde of charismatics in my meeting. It's very painful to present this. And I'm not trying to bash their churches. I'm trying to save them. And they went outside and they gathered in a huddle on the steps, a whole group of them, and they wept. And then they came back inside and they hugged me and they said, thank you. David Spangler, co-director, spokesperson for Finland Community in Northern Scotland. That's what he looks like today. Let's see what he says. He writes in the Reflections of Christ. The true light of Lucifer cannot be seen through sorrow, through darkness, through rejection. The true light of this great being can only be recognized when one's own eyes can see with the light of the Christ, the light of the inner sun. Lucifer works within each one of us to bring us to wholeness. Uh, and as we move into the new age, which is the age of man's wholeness, they love that word, wholeness. Each of us, in some way, is brought to the point which is termed lucif- which are termed luciferic initiation. The particular doorway through which the individual must pass if he is to come fully into the presence of his light and wholeness, Lucifer comes to give us the final gift of wholeness. So who are these people actually worshipping? Lucifer, directly. Lucifer prepares man in all ways for the experience of Christhood. Oh, we become Christ. And Christ prepares man for the experience of God, but the light that reveals to us the presence of the Christ, the light that reveals to us the path of Christ comes from Lucifer. He is the light giver. He is aptly named the morning star because it is his light that heralds for man the dawn of a greater consciousness. David Spangler. There he says it, straight out. David Spangler writes, we can take all the scriptures and all the teachings and all the tablets and all the laws and all the marshmallows and have a jolly good bonfire and marshmallow roast because that is all they are worth. Okay. I don't think they like the Bible very much or the law of God. These are the movers and shakers of the United Nations. They're waiting for a new economic order. Well, I'm not going to go into those details. We affirm that the economy of all nations is a seamless web. They want to join it together and uh, a new international economic order. That's World Goodwill commentary, all there by itself. We, the members of the United Nations, solemnly proclaim our united determination to work urgently for the establishment of a new economic international order. 
The whole world is going to be controlled at every single level by these people. A complete change in the world's financial and economic order is imperative. Benjamin Cream, spokesman for Matreya. So, UN General Assembly says new international economic order. And so we have all these strange happenings. Buckminster Fuller says, don't give me any other job. Just let me and I'll have the whole world at my feet tomorrow. They're going to use food to create enough tension to make everyone accept this. Benjamin Cream also wrote, the industrialists, economists, administrators of great experience and achievement, who with a hierarchy, that's a bunch of demons, by the way, have worked out plans and blueprints which will solve the redistribution problems of the world when the political will is there to implement them. So that means when they start stealing from those who have and give it to all the others. Matreya himself, this New Age Christ. The UN is the major hope of the world. In its interrelationships, we can see democracy writ large, the symbol for the expression of God's will that men call goodwill. With the advent of the Christ, this goodwill will bring all men and all nations into correct relationships and create the necessary circumstances for the expression of that synthesis which will be the outstanding keynote of the coming civilization. In this vast enterprise, the UN will play a major role. Remember Revelation 17? The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received the kingdom, but for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose, to give their power and authority to the beast, and they will make war against the Lamb. Ten regions, according to Gary H. Carr, the Club of Rome divided the world into and wrote the new constitution. And we have this new civilization and it was held at the Fairmont Hotel, Masonic Auditorium in San Francisco. Conference document says, we are experienced the birth of a first global civilization, a historic, timely global initiative, 1995. And there it was. And they were ready for it. CIA, NATO, MI5, CRI, all of these have occult symbols in them which we don't have to go into details. The Trilateral Commission, the 666, the 666 is in the Federal Reserve, SSS, that was the original sixth letter of the Greek alphabet, F is the sixth letter of our alphabet. This all spells 666. Now, what about these world religions? And this is the crux of the matter. And if we can concentrate on this issue tonight, this will be the hub of what is going to happen. Was it not inevitable that the UN would sooner or later also acquire a spiritual dimension? That's what Robert Miller says, the big man behind world education, world media, University of Peace, all of these things. Robert Miller writes, There's a famous poster which shows Christ knocking at the tall United Nations building, wanting to enter it. I often visualize in my mind another, even more accurate painting, that of the United Nations, which would be the body of Christ. Interesting. Doesn't Christ say my kingdom is not of this world? Because this is another kingdom, and this Christ is definitely not Jesus Christ. 
He then refers to Pope John Paul said that we are stone cutters and artisans of a cathedral which we might never see in its finished beauty. Ah, this is Masonic language that Pope John Paul II is talking about. The tapestry of its work encompasses the total condition of humankind on this planet. All this is part of one of the most prodigious pages of evolution. It will require the detachment and objectivity of future historians to appraise fully what happened in the last third of our century and to understand the real significance of what the United Nations was. No human force will ever be able to destroy the United Nations. Very interesting. For the United Nations is not a mere building or a mere idea. It is not a man-made creation. This is Robert Miller speaking. Former Undersecretary General of the United Nations. It wasn't man-made, then who made it? Who made it if man didn't make it? Well, they told us who the leader is in so many words. Who is he? Lucifer. Okay. The United Nations is the vision light of the absolute supreme Masonic signal language, which is slowly, steadily, and unerringly illuminating, you know the buzzwords by now, the ignorance and night of our human life. The divine success and supreme progress of the United Nations is bound to become a reality. At his choice hour, the absolute supreme will ring his own victory bell here on earth, through the loving and serving heart of the United Nations. Wow! This is a bomber. He's going to ring his victory bell. Thank you, Robert Muller. What else do you have to say on the issue? Decide to open yourself to the potential of the human rights, to the infinity of your inner self, and you will become the universe at long last your real divine self. That really puts it all in the picture. I'm more and more drawn to some of the very simple but extremely important teachings of the Christ and of all the great prophets and visionaries. I'm increasingly convinced that what they foresaw is the beginning to become a reality on the planet and that humanity is transcending or metamorphosing itself into what those great dreamers and visionaries and prophets envisioned. We're changing. We're going to undergo a change. The world's major religions in the end all want the same thing. Do they? Even though they were born in different places, different circumstances, what the world needs today is a convergence of the different religions in the search and definition of the cosmic and divine laws which ought to regulate the behavior on this planet. Worldwide, spiritual ecumenism expressed in new forms of religious cooperation institutions would probably be closest to the hearts of the resurrected Christ. Thank you. Very interesting. Peace will be impossible, Robert Muller speaking, without the taming of fundamentalism. Through a united religion that professes faithfulness only to the global spirituality and the health of the planet. So fundamentalism has to be tamed. Let's start with Islam. Where do you think they will end? Certainly with Christianity. The new world religion must be based on those truths which have stood the test of the ages. They are steadily taking shape in human thinking and for them the United Nations fight. My great personal dream, writes Robert Miller, is to get a tremendous alliance between all the major religions and the United Nations. 
Oh, this is fascinating stuff. There will be not be any dissociation between the universal church and the sacred lodge of all true masons and the inner circle of the esoteric society. That says Alice A. Bailey. Robert Miller says that's their philosophy. So there you have it. Freemasonry, Luciferianism, this is the kingdom on earth. June 1995, an interfaith summit conference was held in San Francisco for the purpose of uniting the world's religions into a global organization, the United Religions Organization, called UR. It will be an international, interreligious organization, modeled after and affiliated with the United Nations, According to its literature, so it's our dispatch ministry, the URO launched its written charter in June 1997. The institution should be fully in place by June 2000, globally operational by June 2005. How far is that off? Oh, that's just around the corner. I get excited. Cooperating closely with the UN and its organizations to complement the UN's political, diplomatic, etc. The Interfaith Conference, Anglican Bishop William E. Swing issued the challenge for a new global civilization. He said, we stand on the threshold of a new world order that may be defined either by an increasing polarization that fuels a spiral of escalating conflict and violence, or by growing global cooperation that calls the human race to work across national, ethnic, and religious boundaries to serve a larger global good. See where we're heading? Robert Miller. And this is very exciting. Dispatch Magazine. Do not worry if not all religions will join the United Religions Organization. Many nations did not join the UN at the beginning, but later regretted it and made every effort to join. It was the same with the European community. It will be the case for the world religion because whoever stays out or aloof will sooner or later regret it. Wow. Now, that's fascinating. Where are we going? Sooner or later regret it. This man over here is Joseph Reed. He's the under Secretary General of the United Nations currently. And here he's speaking at uh, a huge convention of Seventh-day Adventists. And he's going to tell them exactly who is going to be in control. Let's listen to him. I make this appeal because the United Nations is also your organization our world organization, your United Nations. Delegates, please remember, the United Nations is the only machinery we have for collective cooperation among all nations. It is the only worldwide institution for furthering development. The United Nations is the only universal mechanism for protecting human rights. The United Nations is the only shared framework for strengthening international law. Delegates, the United Nations is not one of the luxuries 
of international life. The work of the United Nations is of vital importance for the betterment of life on our planet. That's very fascinating. The United Nations is also your organization. It is the only body for this, that, that, and the other. Now, that's not the speech he wrote. He read it for Kofi Annan, the Secretary General of the United Nations. Now, I have a problem. I don't want to be part of a Luciferian organization. I certainly don't want to be. That's just me, personally. The mystical tradition in the mainline denominations easily interact with those of the heathen religions of the world. Meditation practices, visualization techniques, breathing exercises are now being used to tap into spiritual realm. And this, such religious leaders as Pope, the Pope and the Dalai Lama are very much on the same plane. The Sermon Newsletter, 1996, a religion to fit everyone. Goals of this one world religion, world goodwill, remember this is an old UN affiliated organization founded by the very highest level of people. The churches and, and the world religion should indicate the unity within all facets of truth which will provide a universal platform, one to which all men everywhere could give allegiance. Such a platform should include the truth that all men are divine. Thank you. Can we do that? Yes or no? I hope not. The truth that evolution governs the growth of the human being. I don't believe in that either. Each individual is a god. All men are divine and the belief in evolution, the fact of immortality and of eternal persistence, reincarnation, arising from man's essential divinity. The Bible clearly teaches us that there is no such thing as reincarnation for it is appointed unto men once to die. These are all taken from direct quotes. Preparation for, by men and women of goodwill is needed to introduce new values, new standards, and new attitudes, prepare for a coming world teacher, requirements of a new world order, and a reorganization of social structure. I want nothing to do with that. I want nothing to do with that. Alice A. Bailey writes, the same old formulas, the same old theology, the same old interpretations are deemed adequate to meet men's modern needs and inquiries. They are not. The church today is the tomb of the Christ and the stone of theology has been rolled to the door of the sepulcher. Oh, Jesus and his theology, goodbye, goodbye. She writes, the day is dawning when all the religions will be regarded as emanating from one great spiritual source. All will be seen as unitedly providing one root out of which the universal world religion will inevitably emerge. Then there will be neither Christian nor heathen, neither Jew nor Gentile, but simply one great body of believers gathered out of all the current religions. That sounds nice. But whose religion will it be? They will accept the same truths, not as theological concepts, but as essential to spiritual living. They will stand together on the same platform of brotherhood and of human relations. They will recognize divine sonship, will seek unitedly to cooperate with the divine plan 
such a world religion is no idle dream, but something which is definitely forming today. World Goodwill Letter, 1993, quoting it. These are United Nations organizations. So obviously, the world is going to move towards this unified platform, and there will be some who propagate a spirit of separateness. Is that correct? Can we see that emerging? And then there will be conflict. And Robert Miller says that those who do not want to go along with this will sooner or later come to regret it. So obviously we're heading for a clash. Thus the expressed aims and efforts of the United Nations will be eventually brought to function and a new church of God gathered out of all the religions and spiritual groups. Wow. A new church of God. I don't want to be part of that new church of God. I find it nauseating. Miller also said, we must hope also that the Pope will come before the year 2000 to the United Nations, speak for all the religions and spiritualities on this planet, and give the world the religious view of how the third millennium should be a spiritual millennium, a millennium which will see the integration and harmony of humanity. Who must be the spokesman for this new world religion? The Pope. The plan is coming together. Revelation is unfolding. This is exactly what the Bible speaks about what will happen. Instead of becoming dejected and miserable, then lift up your heads and start smiling because we're going home. This is exciting. The world's major religions must speed up dramatically their ecumenical movement and recognize the unity of their objectives and diversity of, of their cults. Religions must actively cooperate to bring to unprecedented heights a better understanding of the mysteries of life and of our place in the universe. My religion, right or wrong, and my nation, right or wrong, must be abandoned forever in the planetary age. You're not allowed to say Jesus is the only way. It must be abandoned forever. I'm sorry, I will not abandon it. I refuse. And then we had this wonderful meeting. The Pope actually did appear before the United Nations. And then they came together in this massive rehearsal at the United Nations where they formed this new ecumenical initiative funded by Ted Turner. And the whole world is gathering into one new religious pot under the United Nations. And I saw one of the heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wandered after the beast. Revelation 13, 3. Therefore there must be made available to all men everything necessary for leading a life truly human. Did you know that living a life truly human is the Catholic acronym for salvation. And I will prove this to you in a future lecture, where they say, to be saved means to live a life truly human. That means the kingdom of God for Catholicism is the kingdom of Catholicism ruling the world on this earth, and giving everyone the capacity to live a life truly human. That means enough to take care of your basic needs and nothing else. Do you like the New World Order? 
Do you like it? Do you know what? They, the Bible calls him the man of sin. Now, there's another word for the redistribution of wealth, and I've given it to you already. What is it? It's called theft. That's right. The Bible says, thou shalt not steal. That means, thou shalt not take from one who has and give it to someone else. That's called theft. That's breaking the commandment of God. Is that correct? Yes. We will see that this system of human rights breaks every single commandment of God as we go along. When God distributed land to Israel, how was it distributed? As an eternal inheritance. It was your land. Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard. And Naboth said to him, I will not sin against the Lord my God because this land has been given to me as an eternal inheritance and to my children. God gives each one a piece that is his. They take it and distribute it according to me, but you pay the bill. Fascinating. The complex circumstance of our day makes it necessary for public authority to intervene more often in social, economic, and cultural matters. The Second Vatican Council. That's what it says. So they're going to intervene at every level of your life. Lord von Gorbachev could impart. Gorbachev praises the Pope. And he says the Pope is right in his demands for a new world order. In 1991, the San Francisco Chronicle already said Pope calls for a new world order. Albert Einstein said, mankind's desire for peace can be realized only by the creation of a world government. With all my heart, I believe that the world's present system of sovereign nations can only lead to barbarism, war, and inhumanity, and that only law can assure progress towards a civilized peaceful humanity. Interesting statement, Albert Einstein. What is, uh, he also says, he says there is no salvation for civilization or even the human race other than the creation of a world government. That was Albert Einstein. What did Yutant, former Secretary General of the United Nations say? He said, world federalists hold before us the vision of a unified mankind living in peace under a just world order. The heart of their program, a world under law, is realistic and attainable. What did Nortema Elder say? World peace is impossible without world government. Winston Churchill, these are big names, and they're not talking about small fry. The creation of an authoritative world order is the ultimate aim towards which we must strive. Charles de Gaulle, nations must unite in a world government or perish. How do you do that? How about creating so much conflict that everybody will be willing to give up their sovereignty? Do you know what? In South Africa, I give these lectures to the public. The people are in despair. They are being robbed, driven off their land. They are being murdered. Our houses look like prisons. We cannot go to sleep without locking everything. In my very own little block, 
We've had murder after murder after murder and robberies, aggravating robberies, and nothing seems to happen. Police don't even care. They don't even come out because there is so much turmoil all over the place and they cannot, they cannot even cope with it. So who cares about your little problem that you've just lost everything? Take it to the insurance and see if you can get it back. Irrespective of the pain, they come in, they move in, they take all your private papers, they burn them. You have no record of your life, everything's gone. They sell the furniture they don't want and the rest they keep for themselves and say, get lost. It's now time for redistribution. You had land before, now it's my land. That's how it goes. This is the New World Order. Welcome to the New World Order. Bertrand Russell, the only possibilities are now world government or death. The Humanist Manifesto, too, urges us to move towards the building of a world community. Robert Miller, former Assistant Secretary General of the United Nations, said, we must move as quickly as possible to a one-world government, a one-world religion, under a one-world leader. I wonder who that is going to be. These are big, big names that I'm putting on the screen. These are speculators here and there. I'm often accused for speculating. Well, the biggest speculators are these people themselves. And what about this man? We saw how peace and unity was to come about. It was great. Great feeling. It was a great statement. Peace. Of peace. Unity. Of love. Peace, love, and unity. 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 Yes. the nations which God had separated, that's one aspect, but to eradicate Protestantism of the face of the earth. And particularly that form of Protestantism which refuses to bow to the papal Caesar. That form of Protestantism will have to go. And we will see that under the circumstances that will be created, these conditions are all in place right now. This is all there. 
and I will put it on the screen for you, so don't miss the next lecture. Now we're getting into hot territory. I'll put the quotes on the screen where they will tell you who the problem children are going to be. And don't think it's Islam. It's someone else. Don't miss the next exciting episodes. But before I go, I would like to remind you that Jesus said that this was going to happen. And if I know, and if I understand with my whole mind and with my whole heart, that Satan, because the dragon gave him his power and great authority, is setting up his kingdom here upon the earth, then instead of becoming disillusioned, frightened, hysterical, I know that the time must be very short. Isn't that right? And I know that the Lord must be coming very soon. So, as far as I'm concerned, I have distanced myself from my property. If I literally had to come home next week and find my wife somewhere in another little room and my house occupied by whomever, then I will say, tough cheese, it's going to blow up anyway, who cares? It's going to be destroyed when the Lord comes by the brightness of his coming. Why not take it now? Have fun while you can. And I'll move on somewhere else. I don't mind building a tree house for a little while. That should be okay. If they take my cars, well, that's okay too. We'll get another one. If we can't afford another one, we'll, we'll walk. Who cares? I really don't care anymore. But people who are losing things become desperate. And what do they do? They commit suicide. By the thousands, people are committing suicide. If they understand this message, and they understand where we are going, would they then commit suicide? No. They gather hope. They say, wow, so we're part of a big exciting end game. And this is exactly what is happening. People are giving hope, and they're giving their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are saying, Lord, save me, not only from my sin, but save me from this world. I am longing for your kingdom. You know what the government policy is in the kingdom of God? I've already told you. Everyone in the kingdom of God gets a dwelling place in the city built by who? By God. And there's your name on it. Did you know that? You have a city dwelling. In the new world, what happens? God says, no longer will they build houses and others live in them. So what are you going to do? They will build houses, says the Bible, and they will plant vineyards. And no longer will you plant vineyards and others eat of them. What does that mean? That means you will have a country dwelling where you will have a farm which God will bless. And who does it belong to? To you. For how long? Forever. Forever and ever and ever and ever. That's God's policy. So who cares? about what they're going to do. Who cares? And I has not seen nor ear has heard the wonders that God has prepared for them that love him. That does not just include the glory of seeing our king in heaven. It includes everything that goes into making life pleasant. And the new kingdom is worthy of waiting for. Really. 
I look forward to the new kingdom of God. It will be a great place. And we will unfortunately see this world go from bad to worse. And I don't want to lie to you and say it's going to get better. I'm going to tell you it's going to get worse. Very much worse. What happened in the French Revolution is the forerunner of what will happen in the entire world. There will be anarchy like you cannot believe. But if you are under the protection of the Most High, nothing will happen to you. So why not accept it? Why not say, Lord Jesus, I want you to be my personal Savior. Why not say, Lord, clean up my life. Let's walk together. Because your government is the only one worth having. And imagine looking in his face and saying, wow, this is my God. I've waited for him. He will save me. Isaiah 19, 19. 
It's meant to cap off the abyss and to cover up the beast that's in the bottomless pit. And then we will all be set up above all of this. But that's also known as a burdens of Egypt, our sin. On one side, you have Jesus' side ready to leave. The other side represents the Satan figure coming. This is shown over and over and over again all around us. Just like in Valhalline, see the pyramid? One side, the red, represents Esau and Edom and Satan. The blue is Israel and Jacob. This is talked of in the book of Numbers. All of Israel has a side of blue right in there. It also represents the Ark of the Covenant, the cube. It's the same thing as the pyramid, the law. If The law represents the burdens of Egypt all, all upon all of us, the wages of our sin. We are underneath this. And then you have the two cherubs, Jesus Christ and then the Satan side. You have the accuser of Satan and then Jesus as the defender. And then Jesus will sit in the middle of the seat on the mercy seat. So you have mercy above the law. So you can see that that's what's going on right in front of us all the time. So you have the law, the pyramid, and the cube. Anything underneath here represents, the, you know, we're stuck underneath the burdens. And then we're raised above, we're above all of this. The V represents the fifth age of the Bible coming. All of these things right there. So you can see this right here. Can you see the pyramid? See the pyramid? Do you see as on this side, we get a boat? You see the boat? That's for the raptured souls. And then you see how it says, go, we leave. And then the glee, that, that means their liberty. Their, they get to have their new world order. That comes. It also represents when this arrow flies. It will show this. This hangs in the main bank of America. It's showing the same thing. See the pyramid? See the woman of Revelation 12? We all leave. It shows an eclipse happening. And then this is the new world order starting with Prince William. This red mist going down into Prince William represents the Satan figure. See the red mist going down into him? See Hillary Clinton? And they're all waiting for Obama. Obama is setting everything up like the Judas character. And then they will give all of their kingdoms unto the beast right there with the new world order rising. It's right there in front of you, right there. Here it is right here. And, of course, that will be the Jesuits, the beast. And as far as rapture goes, that's deception. Unfortunately, that's deception. Okay, let's check this out. We were not meant to be sick. We were meant to thrive. We were not meant to suffer. To me, to the uh, Google with the Statue of Liberty falling down, wrapped in a package, almost as if 
take you to Rome and our boat. What country has a red and black flag? Country flag is red and black. I got suckered with that one thing. Hmm. Likes. Let's see. Well, it looks like all a bunch of them, huh? Let's see. Let's look at that again. Okay, red, black, and white. Russia's going to be involved in it, isn't it? National Bolshevik Party, Russia. Libya. Hmm. Well, oh, it's Freemasonry. I don't know. Eh, it's probably not a good idea to speculate too much. But, let's see. Germany. <laughs> ah, of course. Rome is coming. Germany, Rome, and the Roman Empire is coming. The Jesuits. And of course, the Middle East flag, Yemen. Of course, I'm just speculating right now. Well, whatever it is, it could be just another psych op- operation. I don't know. One thing is for certain, it came out of their mouths. Um, Kerry and uh, the pro- not prime minister, but uh, something or another. <clears throat> From France, it said that the 500 day Anniversary of the global chaos is June the 24th. And, of course, the Pope comes to have a choice in the Congress. And uh, please listen. You know what? I I, uh, don't agree with the Sabbath thing and all that with Stephanie uh, Adventist. But I think at this point, <laughs> folks, we've got bigger issues right now than our disagreements. I think... It's time to stay taking this a little more seriously. Taking God a little more seriously and taking the circumstances a little more seriously. I hope that people will get a chance to hear this, pass it on to anybody. I don't care. I'm not asking for anything. And I'm just trying to raise the alarm. But... uh, we got some serious things going on, folks. We got to take seriously what's going up in the sky. I got to take seriously the fact that the Jesuits, Rome, the Roman Empire, and all the leaders of the world, 
and there are all different organizations, are the ones who are causing the climate change, the climate chaos, with their geoengineering. These are godless men. When I say that, <laughs> any other day they worship Satan, and you have to make your decision. Are you going to worship Lucifer, or are you going to worship the true and living God? And our Lord and Savior's name, Jesus Christ. If you don't believe it, do what I did and ask for faith. A couple of years ago, I didn't believe it either. But after doing this journey, there is no other hope. There is no other hope but in the Lord Savior Jesus Christ. And I hope you take it seriously. All right. God bless and take care. Another heavy day of information. Okay. God bless and take care. Oh, yeah, the other thing about the rapture thing, I got suckered into that. Uh, I don't, I think that's something that they want us to think. And, um, okay, Andrew, you take care. Um, and, you know, right now I just get right with God. Don't get suckered into all the things that are going on out there. Don't get suckered into all the things of man. Don't put your faith in man and science. Don't put your faith in the Freemasons. Don't put your faith in the Jesuits. Don't put your faith in the Pope. Don't put your faith in all the false religions. You better get right with God. <laughs> really, I mean it. I hate to sound this way. I hate to sound so preachy. I don't mean to drive anybody away, but at this point, it's that serious. And this is not all the other distractions out there, all the other fables, you know, the Nephilim, the uh, and uh, Nibiru, um, a comet's going to come, um, everything else. It's right in front of your face, folks. At this time, there is no excuse. It's right in front of your face. God has allowed these devils to spray your sky and ruin your planet and your environment to wake you up. I don't know what else could be more clear. If you're totally disconnected with reality, maybe it's a good time to turn off the television, even turn off the internet. Turn off the radio, turn off your music, turn off all the deceptions out there, and get right with God. It's like, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. This, this time around is going to make World War II, the French Revolution, World War I, the Civil War, all the many other things that we witnessed, the Holocaust, look like, well, Thank you for preparation for the big one. God bless and take care. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.